$175. How did you get Saturns for that cheap? Because Amazon right now has this weird thing where they're really trying to incentivize business owners to use Amazon B2B. Mm. And so they have special discounts on certain products if you buy them in bulk. And there's a coupon. Put your logo sticker. Oh, it's me. It's me. It's me. It's me. What are you doing? Why? I didn't have the tab muted. Oh, you didn't have the tab muted. Jeez. And I was getting Justin. our ad. Oh, well, hey, at least you're getting an ad. Listen to the ad. <laughs> Click the ad. Love the ad. Welcome to the Making Awesome Podcast. Speaking of, <laughs> how's everybody doing today? Um, we have Will from Atlas 3D. He is joining us today, and we are going to be talking all about 3D printing for production because, Will, you just came off of one hell of a marathon, did you not? Uh, we're actually about to start it. So You're I just came off a marathon of buying shit. Uh, <laughs> I have 42 gallons of resin arriving on Monday. God. I bought five additional Saturns, five gallons of alcohol, more paper towels than I could count, 3,000 gloves, two screens, and 20 FEPs because I'm going to print 4,000 spaceships for one page. Because fuck it. Go big or go home. That's what I'm all about, my dude. We are all about going big or going home. I'm imagining what 42 gallons of resin looks like, and I'm a little afraid. Uh, that is a ton. It, wait a minute. How much weight is that? Is it a ton of resin? Yeah, it's more than a ton. I, we had to hire a truck, but there's a truck that's coming with just my pallet of resin. Beautiful. Um, it's, Beautiful. Yeah, well, hold on. I can tell you actually. I want to say that it's uh, 250 pounds. It's, it's, it's Jeez. a lot. It's Jeez. Because the most that you can fit on a pallet, yeah, is, is 350. So I'm at like 170, the 170-ish pounds in resin. Oh my God. That is yeah. kind of insane. I pay 150 bucks for them to drop it at my house. Because they're like, if we can't go to a business because we're, we're sending a semi-truck, it's not even coming UPS, it's coming uh buy a freight truck uh, okay. like a $150 fee for not having a, uh, a loading dock. that's that's fun so when ordering for production especially if you're in a small rural town go to your local hardware store and see if they'll let you use their loading dock it might save you money we we have we have done that in the past uh, actually we use the one from our local college and they were totally cool. They're like, yeah, it's fine. Here are the times when you can bring it because we don't have anything else coming in. And we scheduled it for that time. And it was awesome. It made life so much easier. Because, yeah, it if it's something that is palletized and you need to get a lift gate, that lift gate's going to cost you an extra couple hundred bucks. Um, yep. Minimum. And especially when you're talking about really, really heavy weight, you need a really heavy weight lift gate. And that kind of stuff starts to get incredibly costly. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, that's... and. That's part of the damage that people don't see when it comes to actually doing production work, right? When you need to get a pallet of filament or a pallet of resin, most like most businesses, right? Some of us are home-based, some of us have our own shops, but those shops may not have loading docks. And that's a logistical nightmare that if you're not prepared for it, is going to bite you in the ass, um, yeah, and and hilariously, I think 
that whole shipping industry is a bit of a is a bit of a sham and a scam. If any of you ever had a package get lost or broken, and you've tried to claim insurance on it, you know yeah. what I'm talking about. Uh, I'm gonna give a big shout out to Evan at Coco Press for finally winning his challenge against UPS when they uh, basically drop kicked his printer multiple times out of a truck uh, on its way to Canada for a Linus Tech Tips episode where it got absolutely destroyed. And and it's not like a little tiny printer that's yay no. big. It's like fifty or sixty pounds. It I don't know how you drop kick that. Unit, it's yeah, a I don't know how you. We one of the very first. Uh large orders that we shipped out of resin um was a, was a $2,500 resin order it's a huge amount of fucking resin yep and uh ups it went out in, in three boxes and ups we don't know how but they dropped it so hard that it perforated the uh the one gallon uh hdp bottles so oh, you really gotta no. you gotta do some damage to pierce an hdp bottle like it was leaking uh yeah so it the, the person who we showed we sent it to was super chill um but they they got a box with uh, about 10 gallons of liquid resin just floating in a bag because when ups dropped it they just dumped it all into a big trash bag that they then put into another box that they, they then mailed to the client um and they sent us a nice lovely letter letting us know that we leaked resin all over their place so i'm like well we didn't leak resin you dropped our box um yeah Expect that if you're doing production stuff, just expect that shit's gonna get broke. Set aside 15 20% to rebuy stuff because your clients aren't gonna eat it. You are, yeah, and make sure your timeline suits it as well. So, like, you're trying to do 4,000 prints, and you know, even for I've got 11 printers, but half of them are standard LCD. And if I wanted to do 4,000 prints in that amount of time. Yeah, I'm going to take all my LCD printers, throw them out. I'm going to keep their tanks because I'm just going to replace the OG Marses with Mars 2 Pros. And yep. just go ahead and do that. Because the time savings alone on the mono screens for resin 3D printing is astonishing. Yep. Um, I'm tuning in some uh soraya tech casting resin right now and soraya tech's really nice they they provide you with all the instructions you need for not only printing but then the burnout which is really nice but i won't forget when soraya tech had an entire palette get damaged and so uh, they i made so much money off that dude me too i bought eight a lot i bought eight i think which i still have a couple um but that was back when we were first starting resin. Like, that was before monos were really a big thing. I think the Mars 2 had come out. The Saturn was a glimmer in their eyes at that point. Um, so I'm like, eh, I'll buy some. And, yeah, every bottle was perfect. <laughs> I didn't have a single bottle that had any problems at all. So I got it for half price. And then recently they just ran a buy one liter of resin, get a liter of their white fast for free. Yeah. I'm like, I don't print in white often but i guess i'm going to now <laughs> free resin is free resin I, I, that's what i said right i i needed another bottle of tenacious or not tenacious uh blue i need another bottle of blue uh so that's that was a great time i'm like oh perfect the one thing that did upset me is the soraya tech cast was not included in that i was no, very bummed it was included in the eu 
But when I tried to order through their EU thing, even even when I tried to use a VPN to put myself in the EU, when I put in the American address, it, it killed the coupon code. Um, but I will say, if you are looking to buy resin from Soraya Tech, this is not sponsored. They should sponsor us. That'd be kind of cool. If they sponsor did. us. Huh? Atlas should sponsor us. I mean, yeah, oh, but... They need I, resin. They I can send you resin. You guys are easier to send resin to because you're closer. I'm in Florida. Justin's in California. I don't have a resin printer, though. Yes, he doesn't I have. I have 11. How can you be like a 3D printer and not have a resin printer? Like, it's just a must-have. Because he still lives at home and he has to somehow make accommodations for the fact that resin is toxic and that his mother uh, is not a moron. That's fair. That's fair. Hey, speaking of toxic, you know, one of the things we talked about last time was skin-safe resins. And uh, our boy Aaron Deere is getting signed up right now to go uh, study how to make that shit at the University of Leuven. No kidding. Um, fucking Belgium. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, we're oh. serious, dude. We're going to, like, we will crack this problem one way or the other or shop the market to do it in the forest because I don't really care. We need that kind of resin on the market. I don't want to be a tobacco company. I am all for that, right? I, I want to see skin-safe resin, but more importantly, I want to see at least reasonably safe to be poured down a drain, right? We had this whole issue when water washable resin came out where people were just rinsing it in their sink because, well, it works, but it's still dangerous. And I guess skin safe, maybe body safe as well. I don't know. But yeah, yeah I mean, Prusa, Prusa just released their own resin. I'm, I'm sure at this point you are well aware of this. Yes, I got um, all kinds of DMs about that. They're like, look at the Prusa resin! I know, but like, I love Prusa to death, but that price point is not a mass market price point. And no. I don't think it's designed to be, right? Their printer is not a mass market price point either. They're not going after the people like you and I, where like, we want, and I don't own an SL1S. I, I bought seven Elegoo Marses instead of one SL1. And don't get me wrong. I firmly believe that I would have had a better printing experience with an SL1, but I would have also needed seven different resin tanks because every single Mars printer has a different color or different material in it because, well, I can yeah. do that. Prusa designed something that is made for businesses that have one very small focused point and they only need one printer because if you're going to spend two grand, you really are only going to get one, generally speaking. Yeah, I think it's the same way like with the Mark III compared to getting Creality Ender III. Yeah, that you'll also learn a lot more on that. If, you, if it's someone who is newer in the industry and they want to get into resin and they have the cash to spend, yeah, you will learn a lot more from being able to have successful prints and get that positive feedback compared to having those fails after fails that you could possibly get with I guess one of the inexpensive. The, the, the future resin farms, the future print farms in general, are selecting against anybody who's trying to, to, to use the easy solution. Yeah. If you want to work in 3D printing, you need to know how to support. You need to know how to sculpt. You need to understand all of the ins and outs. Otherwise, you're going to lose. The that is the solution problem. doesn't work in a competitive environment. It only works in an environment where capital can throw around a lot of cash and be like, we're the only ones with it. That world is disappearing rapidly. 
DLP printing is going to drop to the floor in the next two years. So. I mean, we just saw Elegoo announce the Mars 3 DLP with a 1440p projector, which is interesting, uh, at a $500 price point. And I laugh because we all started with DLP resin 3D printers. I had a Kubo 3D Titan 1 that was a Kickstarter printer, and it did actually arrive. Crazy, I know. And literally, you took an off-the-shelf projector and put it underneath the machine. That is what you did. That is how it worked. And it's like, we're going back to that. And it's kind of odd to me because we moved away from it. My assumption is because LCD screens got so damn cheap because cell phones. They're, they're, they're cell phone screens, as far as I can tell. The RGBs were. The new monochrome yeah. screens are actually custom kit. They, they don't have a uh, an, an, uh, an analogous uh, commercial product the way the RGB screens did. Yeah. That's fair. That's fair. Um However, are, do do we see other uses for them outside of the resin 3D printing industry? Because I think that we do, um, but I'm just not certain really on a mass consumer level where we see monochrome screens useful outside of resin 3D printing. Uh, no, see what it, uh, this is just me making an inference, but like, so the LCD screen manufacturing panel manufacturers, they've been riding the cell phone growth curve for the last 15 fucking years. But what's slowing now? People are buying OLED. fewer cell phones. And the cell phones are OLED now. Factory. They need factories like that. When you spend $15 billion to build a factory, you need shit going through that factory all the time. If it's not running, it's losing you money. And so I think for, for resin 3D printers, uh, this industry is getting a lot of interest from a lot of other industries that are looking for new markets to grow into industrial resin manufacturers, machine manufacturers, all kinds of manufacturers are looking for anywhere to grow new clients. And resin 3D printing is that, I mean, I think that's why you see so many printer companies pop up overnight, like, cause they can go to Shenzhen and there's a factory in Shenzhen that'll shit out a printer part for you. No problem at all. Because they're just looking to make anything. A hundred percent. Like the, the kinematics of it are one motor or three on the fancy printers that you guys make the proper we'll way i will say three motors i have i have not stopped talking about that particular feature of your yeah. printer because i think it is truly the that to me is the piece de resistance of that whole, and i know really the big one is the open source board but like no because we're well, I, I mean, we're gonna see a paradigm shift that. right well, see, I go back and uh, I mean, yes and no. It, it's a uh, there's a certain amount of testing that has to be done when you think about it because there's more moving parts. Yeah. Anytime you have more moving parts, like from a pure engineering perspective, you're going to increase the probability of part failure. Of course. So, for medium and large format, large format in particular, I think multiple stepper motors so that you get a more even pull is going to be a requirement. Like I bought a Jupiter. But I bet you a Jupiter size printer would do better with more than one stepper. It'll be interesting to see how it works. No, sir, you you backed the Jupiter. You did not buy it. Elegoo. Oh, <laughs> Brad made sure. So we, last week, of course, was our was our uh, further talk about the Jupiter. Some of my gripes about it. My particular gripe about Kip Kickstarter, and I, I think the industry has a. a, a a known gripe about it. Did you get in at the six hundred dollar price point, or where'd you get in at? 
Oh God, no, I didn't even try to. I because that was just gonna make me mad. I, I I went back and forth on whether or not I wanted to do it. I talked with the team like, hey, we're moving away from just making objects printable to printing for people. So should we as a company should we buy a you know a large format printer like this? We're in Vegas. We want to start doing printing. So having that large format printer means that when conferences come back online next year. I can do cosplay. You know, if somebody wants a full-size fucking helmet, they want a breastplate, they want a shield or something with a with a large format printer like the Jupiter in the mix in the farm, that's something that I can offer. And if nothing else, now I can shit out even more minis per print run. You know, um, I think that with some of what we're wanting to do with using 3D printing for fourth wave, like industrial revolution production close to home, right. medium and large format printers are the only way for business to go. Small format printers are just not going to be viable, in my opinion, for the same reason as multi-stepers on a printer might not be. If you think about your business as a comics-like object, if you have a whole lot of little printers, now you have a whole lot of failure points. So you've got redundancy, but you're also going to be constantly, over time, always having a printer that's down that you have to repair. I need 30 Mars 2s to compete with 10 Saturns. Rule of large numbers means with 30 Mars 2s, I'm going to have more time down doing FEP replacement, more time down doing screen replacement, more time down doing any of that maintenance. If I only have 10 machines, it's a lot less maintenance. Maybe the maintenance is more expensive every time I got to do it, but that that difference between being a in-your-home printer versus trying to, to, to actually be a small business-sized, medium-sized business doing production um, – that I think is going to require the the the, the larger printers. Yeah, I I think it's like looking looking at that like the difference between the FDM world and then the resin world. That's like something that's very different because when you do get a larger printer, you're adding way more print time. While in a resin printer that's uh, LCD based or I think the DLP based would be the same. I have yeah. Um that it would be the same amount of print time, no matter how big your X and Y is, except maybe a little bit of shaking the bed a little bit more or something wouldn't add that much layer time. But when you get a giant FDM printer, yeah, your layers are going to take way longer now. So that's, I think the, the difference that people have to think about the, the differences in resin compared to FDM. And we're already a lot more people are used to the FDM world because that's been in that, in the maker's hands for a lot longer it well, has. Yeah, resin's only been around. Well, okay. Hold well. Hold that. Resin was the first technology developed, yes. right? The first patent was surrounding resin 3D printing, but it only became commercially viable from well, consumer ago. viable in what the past two years. Yeah. The, the Mar- Elegant well, Mars. The, well, the Mars. Yeah. Those Kickstarters. That's what made it consumer friendly. The photon. The photon. I, I have to, any the any cubic photon was as far as I remember. The first MSLA printer under 400 bucks. <clears throat> and all that happened was that Elegoo just came in and said, how about we sell them at 200? And Anycubic's like, how about 300? And Elegoo said, well, how about 200? And Anycubic said, okay, I guess we can do 250. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, to be blunt, though, like that's what happens when you have the state helping you do that. That's part of why we're pushing for the open source thing, because like straight up, EPACs and us, we can't do that. No. I don't I don't have the United States government's not sitting behind me saying, hey, Atlas, we want to make sure that our companies win. So here's a line of credit. Go ahead and just go straight to the floor. 
you know, we have to deal with the real world of business where, you know, profit and loss matters. Uh, we what can't are those? Just, you know, I know, right? You know, it really helps when, you know, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to get too ideological about that. But maybe someday we'll be able to, you know, to, to use a, a crowdfunding platform to eat millions of dollars in losses to, to move a commercial product. You know, it'd be great. <laughs> it's like crowdfunding is not supposed to work that way. But I guess, you know, when the crowdfunding platform can make, I don't know, 200 I, grand in 10 minutes, they're going to look the other way because I certainly would, too. <laughs> I really like the new crowdfunding platform. That's more for electronics projects. I can't think of the name right now. Oh, look it's like for people like if they have an idea for an open source board or whatever and you can easily like get it into consumers hands and it and the thing is with it, it they help you get connected to uh people in china most of the time that will be may help you manufacture your boards and like it's not just kickstarter goes and okay here's your money bye they actually want to help you bring it to market so let me find that link and because I think that would be something cool to look into for a lot of really awesome projects on there. I did have some questions regarding the Jupiter because we opted not to back it. Um, one, I don't have the spare capital. And if I was going to do that, I'd have to buy it out of my own pocket. And right now, even at 740, it's just not something that I think I'm going to need right now. If you don't need the big build plate of the Jupiter... Why would you go with the Jupiter instead of multiple Saturns? And my, my, my argument there would be if you're running multiple sets of prints, you know, let's say you're running 500 minis. If one of those minis on the build plate is considerably taller than all the others, they're all going to take that same amount of time. If I have four Saturns or two Saturns or whatever size it, it ends up being in terms of volumetrically, I can have one of those prints done early while the other one is still running, right? So the value of the Jupiter sits, as far as I can tell, only if you need to do big-ass parts. If you don't need to do big-ass parts, I didn't see the big value in the Jupiter. Am I right in, in going that direction? I would say it's more that you shouldn't buy a Jupiter if you don't all have a print for. Right. Is what I would say. Because, like... Yes, if I want to print 50 minis and one of them is tall, that's going to be, you know, that's going to mean all of my short ones now have that build time. And but, you don't want to run like when a I was Saturn for one mini. You just don't want to do that. Okay, I mean, like, I mean, objectively, no, you don't want to do that because you, you know, you're, 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 if you want to look at, if you really want to get granular, every time you turn the thing on, you're causing wear and tear damage. Yeah. So you only want to, you know, you want to amateurize that as much as possible. So yeah, you don't want to turn your Saturn on for just one. But I would say, especially unless you're operating at a scale that I don't think anyone is yet, the, the loss there right now at, at our scale isn't, isn't noticeable. You have to really be shit. I think in the in a ten to twenty thousand unit range, where that that cost difference from running one versus a whole plate will act come visible. That makes any sense. Yeah, it does. Um, okay, so I, I'm I'm glad that my my thought wasn't far. Right, I. I so really... what's going to happen is the same thing with the Saturn. A bunch of people bought Saturns who should not have bought Saturns. 
they have no printers or they have like one printer at home and they're like, I'm going to start a business. So I'm buying a Jupiter. Nah, I just wasted a grant. Yeah. Because like you have no network, you have no connections. You won't even need that for Um, but like, okay. So the Jupiter has three times the volume of my Saturn. When I was setting up my plates for this, this major print run, if I had had an extra Jupiter, what I would have done is tiled that one. I mean, I, I did all of the same part on the same plate. Yeah. Now, obviously, I'm not always going to be able to do that. Sometimes I'll have lots of different things that all need to be printed. So maybe I'm printing a thousand different units instead of a thousand of one units. Yeah. But for a lot of businesses, I think that what you're actually going to be printing is not a thousand individual units, but a thousand of one unit, a thousand of yeah. another unit out these build plates that are just one thing tiled a thousand times and then you figure out the math of how many times do i need to print this plate and now i know okay, somebody comes to me and they want 1200 ships that ship takes one hour to print i need to loop it five times so it's five hours in print time for me to make those ships right. and i just run that same file it's all planning in ahead you, you should never build a plate that has objects that aren't fairly close to the same height yep like agreed you just shouldn't. and that's the kind of stuff that you have to think about in advance the you, you may have heard this phrase before but like you, you you plan the work and you work the plan that is the most effective thing to do only way to, to be a business in this stuff is to really plan your work because if you don't you're going to get nickel everywhere you'll lose money everywhere on time it's true yeah. And, and, and that, to me, is where the Jupiter comes in, right? Big production. I am really concerned. After seeing the reviews of the uh, Frozen Sonic Mega 8K and all the issues that it's having with suction, the stupid holes in the plate, and all that kind of crap, that Elegoo is going to suffer similar issues. Now, I did not see that their plate had any holes in it, which worries... It <clears throat> huh? It doesn't, which is good. It doesn't, which is good because you're not going to get resin trapped. But it doesn't, and that's going to cause a fair bit of suction forces, which I'm a little worried about. Um, unless, of course, they, you know, mix in some expected frame uh, wobble like you're seeing on the Mars 3s now. Uh, that effectively causes it to peel slowly because you're bending the frame. Um, and and, and I, we referenced that in the last episode. And I said, you know, look, I don't think it's that big of a deal. I really don't think it's that big of a deal because by the time it's bending the frame, the light's already off, right? You're trying to peel it up and then it's going to spring right back to where it used to be, give or take a little bit, but eventually it's, it, it, it's going to get to a point where it stops bending. And I said, all right, at that point, you're fine. You're fine. Um, a print perspective. Sure, but if you think about like from a material properties perspective of the build arm and the, and the frame that's flexing, that stuff has a limited number of times it can flex. So your print might be fine, but I 100% guarantee you the build life, uh, the lifetime expectancy of that unit is going to be short. Wherever you're flexing, that's where it's going to break. Yep. Or fracture. Yep. You're, you're going to see yielding on bolts. You're going to see... Uh, you know, aluminum start to bend. And that is always what worries me about these big printers. And that's why when I saw your printer with its three lead screws, ball screws, whatever you guys end up utilizing for it, 
now you're spreading out that load. Yes, it adds in crazy amounts of complexity in terms of, you know, the positioning and everything that you have to deal with on the board side, but it increases the stiffness ma orders of magnitude. And thankfully, they're not making the cover on the Jupiter pull off the same way that it does on the Saturn. I will continue to say that is truly the worst thing about these cheap resin 3d printers is that you got to pull the whole damn lid off and there's not a freaking door that's 100 bucks off the cost uh for me like as an end user i will spend a hundred dollars less don't get me wrong i hate the hoods they get dirty they get messed up they get monkey yep uh but for a hundred dollars less fine well and for a hundred dollars less if you're going to do this on a production level build a room without uv light in it right build yep. a room where you can filter out uv light and then just don't put the covers on the machines. They're going to yep. stink. But guess what? VOC filters. You've got that problem solved too. And if the Next room is specifically resin. made for resin 3D printing and you have all the preparations done in there correctly, don't put the lids on them, I think. That's my personal opinion. Yeah. Well, so it's it's not just no UV. You also need to have no dust. Yeah, which is and probably the harder of, of, of the two. Yeah, you, if you want to keep it without the lids, you kind of have to create a clean room. Yep. Um, yeah. can, can experience, I have lots of animals, and even though I keep my my covers on, uh, I don't know, one out of every 15 or 20 prints, I get dog hair fused into my mini. It comes off the plate. I'm like, that's hair stuck in there, man. And it's because it's got fused into the, uh, the resin. Yeah. I mean, that is a relatively quick thing to deal with, though. I mean, you know, you just kind of cut it flush and move on unless it does cause print failures but i've never noticed it no no but see again at, at, at normal human scale not a problem right but at business scale now you have a problem yeah like that's one of the things that we're looking into now you know going back to toxicity and safety when you're an at-home printer the amount of waste that you're generating is still substantial but compared to a business way less yeah it's and nothing compared to a business Depending on the city or state that you're in, if you're running a 3D printing company and you're going through a lot of resin and you're not appropriately disposing of your stuff, some greenie in your town is going to find out and then they're going to sue your business and you will close. There are The closest analogy I can think of is there are car, uh, car stores that sell oils and cleaners and shit. And out in Oregon, yep. um, there was one that got shut down because he was cleaning off his driveway in the back and oil had been spilled and all of the causeways in Oregon filter to the ocean. So there are very particular rules about what you can spray down the drains because everything in Oregon filters to the ocean. Right. He lost his business because he was he was flushing oil down the drains and it wasn't a substantial amount, but it did not matter. There were a lot of rules that govern that behavior. It's going to be the same thing with with commercial level resin. Printing. Um, yep. And like that's why it's why I stress so much about the toxicity of resin, right? We we have a thing. Resin is toxic, right? We, we have a thing about this. And it's the same reason, like, I always tell people, hey, don't forget to call your loved ones, right? That's something that I want to pound into people's heads so that it's always on their mind. Because one mistake, you've got chemical burns. Another mistake, you're poisoning waterways. And even further, the EPA is going to find you and fine you a quarter of a million dollars per incident 
because this is not something that we have easy ways of cleaning. You can't easily filter it from water. You have to deal with it this way. And like, I live in Florida. I am on a well, right? If someone was to start dumping toxic chemicals and it leaches into the aquifer, you have poisoned millions of people that have no other means of obtaining fresh water. And that is one of those problems. You sit there and say, well, that is, uh, that's a problem. Um, Meta Creativity said something similar happened with a quart of paint to a hardware store local to me. One quart of paint spilled in the parking lot cost them the business. Latex paint. Um, And that is likely due because they didn't have the proper cleanup methods. And that's why we tell, look, even in your in your cleaning stuff make sure you cure out the resin and whatever resin you don't cure out filter it out yeah use high powered uv light me when i'm done with my resin for the day i put the lid back i i turn the stir thing on i quickly turn it off and then i turn on the curing and i leave the curing on for like 10 minutes and i will settle out all the resin before the next day that we start resin again i'll filter it all out all the solids out and then we have reasonably clean fluid and if you have a nose for it you'll smell it pretty quickly of whether or not your fluid is clean but i also don't use alcohol i use mean green um i want to go to alcohol but on some of these larger cleaner stations man you need like a gallon or two of alcohol to fill it up and like what i go through five gallons a month that's honestly a lot less than I expected. Uh, the cheapest way is just getting it from the drugstore until you get to like five gallons, I think. I go to my local hardware store and I, I they sell uh, denatured alcohol or acetone uh, in five gallon drums. And I just go there and I buy, I buy the five gallon drum. You can also go, if you want, if you're IPA only, because some people don't like denatured alcohol or acetone, Uline will ship you very large quantities of alcohol at reasonable prices. Dang. Hmm. Yeah, because, like, if you want to try and get, like, a gallon or two on, like, anywhere online, it's crazy expensive. So, like, going to the drugstore and getting a few bottles of it ends up being cheaper. Uh, yeah. Now, some of that was COVID, but... Yeah. Um, if you, you know, as a business, unless you're consumer-facing, I highly recommend acetone, just because it's faster. Um, and... I guess I, I remember a phrase. I recommend acetone all the way up until you're no longer the person doing the work and you're hiring somebody. Once you start hiring somebody, go back to alcohol and uh, make, make sure you train them too and you have appropriate insurance liability because somebody's going to fuck up and get hurt and sick. And uh, again, you as a business owner, uh, that's on you. What is the cost difference between acetone and alcohol? Depends on the state you're in. That's fair. Um, like in Nevada, for me, I can get, it's like $3 to $4 a gallon cheaper. So at scale, it makes a difference for me. Like over the, you know, now in California, you can't even buy some of that stuff. So it really does I just depend. Get, on the I can't get denatured alcohol. I just look. Ha yeah. ha. <laughs> As of December 20th, 2019, denatured alcohol is illegal. We we do have a question in the comments. He said, uh, Jimmy Johan- Johansson uh, who, by the way, is a patron. If you want to support our channel directly, patreon.com slash 3D Musketeers. Links are probably somewhere in the description. They should be. 
Uh, maybe they're not. Maybe I don't have it in this one. I'm gonna have to now go check. But yeah, patreon.com slash three D Musketeers if you want to support us directly. He said, uh, hey Grant, how often you often mention chemical burns from resin. I don't think you've mentioned do not go outside or close to a window until you have thoroughly washed and gotten it off your skin. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. If you get it on your skin, you should immediately stop what you're doing and go wash your skin. Because the chemical burns do not come from the curing. The chemical burns literally come from skin contact of raw resin. Um, curing only makes it happen faster because it's an exothermic reaction and it's going to burn. Uh, but yeah, you want to make sure you get that off your skin quickly. Now, for most people, within 5 or 10 minutes, you'll be fine. But as, expo as your exposure gets up, your sensitivity goes up as well. You might notice the first time you get it on your skin, you might not even notice it for hours, right? You may not, you just might think you got a little water on your skin, no big deal. But eventually it's going to start to get itchy. That sensitivity will get faster and faster and faster. Um, and it's because you're literally allergic to it. It's just your body doesn't realize yet that it's that allergic. It. That's my understanding. Will, do you agree on this? Um. So as... From what we've been told, the, the you do resin sensitivity is a thing that happens. It's variable. And so some people are more sensitive to others. Some people build sensitivity faster than others. I know, and a lot of this stuff for me is anecdotal. I, I have people that I've interacted with who said a year and a half ago they had no problems at all. And now they can't be around it at all. Yeah, uh, There's a creator that we work with who used to do all of his own 3D printing. And now he breaks out into hives and shit if he gets around. He, he has a very strong allergic reaction. Um, I haven't myself had an increase in, in, in sensitivity. Um, but I have lost my fingerprints like three times. Uh, 10 out of 10, do not recommend. Uh, it's really freaky when your fingers are cracked and bleeding and it takes a month for them to stop. So even though I haven't become more sensitized, it sucks. <laughs> And I know other people who have. So, again, I don't want to be a tobacco company. So I, I, I lean in on the abundance of caution. Um, uh, what, the, what the university people told us is it's the photo initiator. That is the, the most toxic part of all of this is the photo initiator. And, and that stuff, you don't exactly – it's not like mercury that's stuck in you forever. Like if you get mercury in you, like it's really hard for your body, your body to actually pass mercury out, right. process it. As I understand it, it's kind of similar with this. There are there's something that's in the, the modern resins that your body doesn't fully pass for some people, and it's that buildup of that that over time can cause that increased sensitivity. Um, I wonder if uh, you know, so like the mercury, it is always uh, positioned back to Matt as a hatter, I believe, because that. They used yes. mercury uh, for hat making, and when they would uh, burn it off or boil it off, they would be inhaling these mercury fumes. They would th – the first way that you could tell that you were dying of mercury poisoning is your teeth would start to fall out, which I think is truly one of the worst initial symptoms of a problem is that your teeth start falling out. Um, it'll Indeed. be curious to see what long-term side effects of all of this is because I've noticed that I am considerably more sensitive to it now 
than I used to be. I'm still at about 10 or 15 minutes, but at this point, as soon as I get it on me, like, let's say I've got, you know, I've got like, you know, gloves to here. Now I use uh, the big yellow kitchen gloves that come to here. Uh, now that are like, you know, basically yeah, at the elbow. On the, um, you actually, if you're wearing those, you need to wear an underglove or you need to replace those gloves regularly. Yes. Yeah. The, we throw them dope. Good. Yeah. Cause they get doped and, and basically the resin will pass through the Correct. glove. Yeah. It seems like nitrile's the safest latex. It can slowly pass through, but what we do is as soon as we're done, we cure the gloves and I think it's after one or two uses, I, I just toss them, right? I cure them out. I, I kind of break off all the hard resin, and then we cure them again, and we toss them. Uh, because they're a dollar a pair from the dollar store. I do not give a damn. It is not. Some of the pictures, and there's one particular picture that always freaks me out on, on when I see it on Reddit, is the guy that was carrying a resin printer in his lap when he was driving, and the resin sloshed and got on his thighs. And he didn't realize it was resin and it soaked into his into his underwear and into his clothing. So this was in skin contact for hours and the damage to his skin is insane. And like when you're running this on a production scale, exposure is not something that you're that you're saying, I'm not going to get exposed. You're like, all right, how do we mitigate exposure? I would guess full long sleeve lab coats for sure that you guys are changing every couple of prints that they're being cured out in the hot sun then they're being washed i mean what kind of precautions are you taking in preparation for this four thousand part order by the way for those of you that are joining late will is about to embark in a four thousand piece order 42 gallons of resin over a ton of literally over a ton of resin. What kind of precautions are you taking to make certain that like, bro, just like straight up. That's, that's some dangerous shit you're about to undertake here. Well, it, it helps that I have my printers in a 3000 square foot hanger. I so mean, there the, is that. The, the, that helps a whole lot. And in anticipation of doing this, I streamlined a lot of my, my flow. Um, it's still just me. I don't have anybody who's helping me with this. So it's a one man band, you know, running this off over a weekend, but I have all of my printers now strategically staged on a wall in this nice, big, open ventilated area. So I'm not worried about the air contamination. Um, I've got separate cleaning stations that are set up now. I've basically broken everything down so that you know, that's the best that I can do for right now because I'm moving between the moving out of my house into the next, you know, basically the next level of, of, of actual production. And so the, the most that I can do is, is almost the old school, like the solution is dilution. So I have a huge amount of open air. So I've moved my printers, which used to be close to me when I was only running one or two. I had them in my workspace in the room with me. Mine are like, you can't see them on camera, but they are directly next to me. We do have VOC filters in the office, though. Yeah, see, I don't have filters in, in my space. And so it was like, okay, how do I deal with that for now in, oh, in God, a way that's safe? 
Uh, well, I don't smell them. And see, that's a good thing, bad thing. Is I can't smell resin. I've never been able to smell it. Other than a few resins, most of them don't have scent to me. Well, uh, you're using your own resin for this, too. You're not using what most of us would consider off-the-shelf resin. You're literally using your own formula yeah. that you guys have yeah. developed. So your resin might be less stinky. I am excited because I do want to get some in the test. Uh, we actually have some resin coming from another company as well. Um, cool. That I said, hey, if you want me to test your resin, I don't own any of your printers. Would you want to send a printer? They're like, no. But we knew that you didn't have any of our printers. That's why we want to send you some of our resin. We want you to test our resin in other people's printers. I'm like, that seems odd, but, you know, I'm kind of down. Uh, but, yeah, I we it's got a lot of requests to do a video comparing the Saturn to the Photon Mono X since we have both. And I want to do that with different resins to see how it does. So, like, I got that any cubic, uh, that any cubic fast gray or fast white that I'm never gonna probably use. So I was gonna use that. I wanted to try out some of this stuff that I'm getting in from an unnamed company because they're not paying me to say their name. And uh, I'd like to try yours as well. And this is this is an episode with Atlas 3D, so I'm not gonna you know send out a name that isn't isn't nice. Um. I would, uh, I'll, I'll make sure we get some shipped over to you. Uh, we've got our Vulcan, we've got Hercules, which is coming out soon. I'll ship you both. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm literally going to be running in some, some casting resin here soon. And, uh, I just kind of gave it a quick sniff. It, it smells kind of sweet, which is odd. So I'll be curious That's to see. Alkylate. I've tried maker juice wax labs. Hated it. It's terrible. I hate that resin. What did you dislike about it? It settles. Or it separates. Okay. And like during yeah. a reasonably long print, it would be terrible. It also is, yeah. a, depending on how long that resin has been in a tank, yeah. would, would vary how long you had to expose it for. It it, it was not consistent for me, right? Oh. Um, I used, that and I hate... Hey, so you know, if that's the case, that means their, their, photo, their photo initiator is oxidizing. It would get that's a, it would get like a film, like if you yeah. leave a like Jello pudding out, it gets that skin. That's and you'd have to peel the skin off. It's really weird, and I just I finally because we have a couple of jewelry clients. I said I, I can't do this, guys. Like it is, I am I'm losing like every three prints, like and that is not sustainable on not a business acceptable. model, e even even yeah. on small scale. Um, yeah. So we transitioned over to using and I hate it's the f word in my in my area form labs. And that's $400 a liter, like crazy expensive. And um, Is that Cure on the uh, Oh yeah, that's LCD fine. printers? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah because I, I thought there was a different... Uh, nope. 405 nanometer laser versus 405 nanometer UV light. They're, they're, they're both still UV based. Um, yeah, so that worked fine. And that is beautiful resin but at $400 a liter I had to quadruple my price and nobody liked that so what we ended up doing is I sent a local person a bunch of just some failed prints some spare stuff that I had laying around of Soraya Tech's fast resin and we actually built a burnout schedule for the Soraya Tech fast resin because you can do it it just has to be very hot to do so but now Soraya Tech came out with the casting resin I'm going to be trying that. And I would think that there's a big market out there. I know some of the larger uh, companies that do jewelry 3D printing are using 3D systems wax printers because they're literally printing in wax with a very small amount of photopolymer resin in it. But, I mean, those are $200,000 machines that cost a dollar a milliliter to run. 
and when we yeah. look at this from a business standpoint, I can't spend that much money when I only have like five jewelry clients. I need to find a better solution. And so our better solution was to look at using regular resin. And the only reason that we went down that path is it, it's kind of weird. Uh, I had a cat that passed a couple of years back, and this is where I got the idea from because her name was Audrey too. And no, it was not the second Audrey cat that I've had. It's a little shop of horrors reference. For the love of God, everyone looked at me weird. And they're like, what's the name of the cat? Audrey too? What happened to Audrey one? Oh, it was eaten by a plant. Do, 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 do you not know this? Like, come on, this is exactly what happened. Um, but, uh, we... Okay, old man. <laughs> I'm only 31. Give me a break here. It, it's a good movie, but, um, when she had kidney failure, and that's just kind of what happens in, in cats, and, uh, when we had her cremated, they let us put anything we wanted in there. Well, everyone that was involved in kind of her last days of life, I printed a resin Audrey 2 for them, so that they all could have something to remember her. We put one of them in with the cat and it was not there like within five minutes it was gone like physically gone and that's what gave me the idea that we could do it with regular resin and that's what we ended up doing and i casting resin is better but i think regular resin still we need to refine that formula because it's not consistent we look at what kind of resins do i have here i've got i mean hell i've got soraya tech fast and i've got soraya tech sculpt they look, they feel, they print like the same resins, but they're not. And to get a standard would be amazing in this industry. Uh, we know yes. a guy. We do know a guy. <laughs> we are, uh, I, I would say that the castable resins are a thing that uh, we're looking at, but that's so far outside of our current space that... Um, that's more looking at thing than uh, how to how to immediately operationalize that. I know that uh, like Rivenator, for example, does castable dice, and he was telling us the main thing that a lot of the castables are looking for now is resin that doesn't need a special cleaner that you can you can print in it and then you can immediately use it for molding without having to buy the ninety dollar a liter of cleaners because like right now is regular resin and you go to do molding or casting with it, almost all of them have to be specially cleaned and particularly cured, or the mold stuff that you put in won't set. It'll just stay gelatinous. And then, um, at least that's what we've been told. Us, it's still, uh, it's it's starting with our, our, our basically you, 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 you dance with who brought you, mm -hmm. and we, we came to the table with tabletop, so we're, we're, we're starting there. Um, but I would imagine that for us, as we transition into doing production printing, um, getting castables and providing castables, I could see in 2022 being a key a revenue driver for any kind of print farm makerspace. Yeah. Um, you know, figuring out what your local community might want a lot of bits and bobs of that you can make 500 or 1,000 of. Like, realistically, if you're looking for this kind of stuff in your state side or even in the EU, your, your client quantity size is basically people who are too small to go to China, but too big to do it. And so like what kind of, if you're going to buy a product, or you're going to offer a service, that's the market that you're serving. So what do those people want? It's the contractor who doesn't want to have to go get a bunch of shit injection molded that you could yep. rapidly 3D print off for. 
it's 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 light switches it's actually really simple shit that's currently all made by the tens of thousands over but with covid with shipping with thing getting expensive okay when we first started planning resin we were pricing out a shipping container last year's time to get a shipping container from shenzhen to florida was like two grand no big deal because it's a 20-foot shipping container I can fit like 12 pallets of resin. That's a lot of fucking resin for two grand. That same shipping container today, like 20 grand. I can't ship resin that way. It's just not possible. Not at the price points that are, not to, not to be competitive anyway, it's just not possible. It's gonna be the same thing across the board. Unless major political changes happen in the next five years, which I don't expect, every single good you buy is going to get more expensive if it comes from China because Shipping prices are not going to go down. No. Fuel prices are not going to go down. Carbon yeah, taxes are going to go up. <laughs> like, How much you yeah, pay for I, gas I, out there, Justin? What are you paying for gas? I was just complaining that gas got gas just got over three dollars a gallon here. What would you pay for fuel? It was four sixty-five for premium yesterday. Oh, that's cheap. It was last time we talked about gas prices. It's you were at almost five bucks. Yeah. That was with our the twenty cents from like grocery rewards. <laughs> Everything you can do to get a dime back from the man. Uh, well, you know, I I'll say, uh, Will, I don't know, I don't, I don't think you're watching the comments, but uh, Alexandre and I'm fairly certain it's the one that I'm thinking it is uh, from Lychee is saying, uh, yeah. "You have my interest. No more platinum silicon." Should be silicone jelly failures. That would be a game changer for us. Um, and I, I'm gonna the silicon versus silicone. There's always the anecdote of silicon chips, silicone boobs, right? And I can't put that in a channel video, but that's like how you have to remember it, right? You gotta remember it that way. Uh, but it would be a game changer because there are a lot of us that want to do high end casting right now. I mean, we've been talking about it internally of other markets that we can get into where we can utilize resin printing and then go into uh, silicone casting and then two-part epoxy casting. But if we have to do it with FDM printing, the amount of extra work that you need to do just stops being worth it. And Now, you can cheat if it's a large enough thing. And, and, and again, this is only in a clean environment. But if you do your FDM print and then you get a spray bottle of resin, yeah. you can spray the resin on and then UV torch it. And then like, we've done that before. Real carefully. Huh? We, we've done that. And I, I think Uncle Jesse was the first one to kind of show this off where you mix some cornstarch or baby powder, the cheap baby powder, which is normally just cornstarch. And, and you can create a paste. And that's great for filling seams. I use the hell out of that idea because it's bloody brilliant. It's UV Bondo. <laughs> it's, it is yeah. UV Bondo. However, I, I, I think the jelly issue is because still because you're still off gassing you're still off gassing some of that resin whatever it is and the silicone says i'm not a huge fan of really anything except for myself and when you when you mix whatever that off gas is with the silicone it seems to get pissed off um now does yes. that does the atlas resin still have that same problem yes. with vulcan yes. it does okay yeah there's no that problem mate Believe me, if we had solved that problem, that is all you would have fucking heard from me. Because <laughs> there have been lots of people who came to us and who were like, hey, we heard you're making a resin. We want we want platinum silicon castable resin. 
and we've talked to two manufacturers about making that particular thing. It's a hard problem. There's lots of people trying to solve it. We're going to try and solve that, but fuck me if I know when that's going to happen or how much money it'll take to do it. Well, I guess that's what right Aaron, Aaron Dare is going to be for, right? They're going back to school to, to solve all those problems, right? Among other things, yeah. So um, electromechanical engineering so that we've got a little bit more hardware knowledge and then uh, doing dual duty uh, with some chemistry too. So again, we just get some more institutional knowledge inside Atlas. Um, and it was kind of the promise that we made to Aaron here when he came on with us about a year ago was that um, depending on how fast we grew, if we grew fast enough, um, we, we bring him on as our lead researcher and, and just basically fund him to play around. And if we right. didn't grow fast enough, we'd send him back to college so that he could get the knowledge that way and start playing around. So it's been a year and uh, back to college he's going. Uh, we've grown fairly fast, but not quite fast enough to bring on a nuclear health and safety researcher as mm -hmm. our lead researcher. He needs a little bit more, as it were. Uh, so back to school he goes, which we're eternally grateful for. Yeah, I, I I think that will be the money, right? A platinum curable silicone around a resin part. Okay. And uh, Alexandre actually has what I think is a great a great option. They use a tin cure first, which you can use fine. Yes. And then they cast a urethane, then they go and they cast the platinum, which is an absolute pain in the ass. However, yep. It's a much better option than, you know, having to deal with the jelly failures. We haven't done too much platinum silicone work, but it is a market that I think we're going to be pushing into um, specifically to deal with platinum higher really detail. Huh? See, it's not, even just the, it's not even just the higher detail, honestly. It's just scale. You can get so many more pulls out of a platinum mold than you can out of a tin mold. I mean, it's, it's not even... It's barely even measurable yeah. in comparison. Like, tin is nothing compared to uh, platinum in terms of longevity. It's just huge. And Alexandre, we will see you later. They're 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 heading out. So thanks for hanging out. Um, Ryan, oh Ryan, seventy six said. So I started three D printing a few months ago. I'm okay at three D Max for modeling, but I hear Blender's the way to go for modeling three D prints. I'm trying to make. A Frank the Bunny mask from Donnie Darko. Um, oh no, no, blender, not Blender. Go to ZBrush. ZBrush is kind of the industry standard, but if you can't afford ZBrush and you don't want to sail the seven seas, uh, Blender is not blender a bad option. Yeah, my main thing with Blender though is that Blender's vertices. Now, I mean, if you spend the time and you smooth things out, you're not going to have that problem. But a lot of the times when we get sculpting work that's been done in Blender. Uh, we get what we call dirty mesh, uh, which is difficult to support, and it will print, but oftentimes it'll print with visual artifacts, or it requires a lot of additional support work or post-processing work. Yeah. So, um, I think that's what we had the problem with the bananas, Grant. What do you mean? Uh, that it wasn't a great mesh. Yeah, it wasn't. Uh, there. And you can have the same issue in ZBrush if you decimate it down too far. And that's something yes. to keep in mind as well. You have to find, like, we just had someone send, I had someone send me a model for printing that was clearly done in ZBrush. The first model was 45 million poly. Like, that was a half a gigabyte file. 
I did not realize it until I loaded it in. I'm like, why the hell is my CPU still pinned? Now, I have an old computer, so that, you know, could just be some random problem. But no, it was because it was a half a gigabyte file that the client sent me. And I said, dude, I need a million poly or less. And yes, you will start to see visible artifacts under 100,000 poly. But at a million poly, you'll be fine. You should be at like a 50 to 60 megabyte file. But even that at like, and this was a big part. This was an eight inch diameter part. I mean, so, you know, relatively large. Um, but like at a 40 millimeter mini or something like that, dude, you can go down to a hundred K poly and still be totally fine. Um, but yeah. we have people send us stuff all the time. And they're like, it needs to be that way. I'm like, no, you're sculpting for the render, not the print. That feature is less than 15 micron. It ain't gonna print. Yep. I have to support it, but it ain't gonna print. Yeah. So you can do low poly in Prusa Slicer now? Yeah, yeah, Prusa Slicer, Prusa Slicer 2.4. I don't have you played around with the new 2.4, Will? Do you even No, I am all lychee all the time because all I ever do is put sticks on things, so I don't have time to play around with other slicers unless there's like some kind of killer app feature. I played with Prusa Slicer in the beginning, and mm -hmm. I think that it's a perfectly fine slicer, especially for FDM. Yes. And I love some of the innovative things they're trying to do with it. I think they were one of the first to have NetFab built in, which was super great. Yeah. Um, they're the only ones that you can access NetFab still because NetFab doesn't exist anymore. I, Except if can. you're like me and you still have an old file of it. you have an Or unless you do it through 3D Builder. Nah. Yeah, see, I, uh, I downloaded uh, Fusion 360 Professional Edition, uh, which they let you download as a demo. Nice. And then you don't, have, you don't have to give them a credit card or anything. And then you have a, a handy-dandy little EXE file that exists on your computer. And after your trial expires, as long as you have a reasonably beefy computer, you have their repair algorithm local. Nice. And that never goes away. So I still run my NetFab via Lychee. It's just it all runs local for me. That's cool. Channel I, 10 do recommend because you can still do that. That path is not closed. I do have Fusion Education, so I should look if I have that then. Yeah, the, 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 the professional version of NetFab is phenomenal. Um, make sure you set extended repair, because by default, the repair algorithm is set to simple repair, which works, but if you've got flipped normals or inverted normals or any other things like that, you want to do that extended repair, it will eat your computer cycles, like all of them. Fine. So don't do anything else. Just hit the repair button and like walk away and then come and back. Like, and it'll be close Chrome, then hit the repair button and walk away. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. Need, I, I need more RAM first. Oh, don't you know you can download more RAM? Oh, yeah, hold on. Let me, let me go download some more. <laughs> download more. Yeah, Z, well, I mean, like, ZBrush like, is the industry standard. And I'll tell you, when we look at our, our designers and what people make here at 3DM, the ZBrush people make, make the money. The money is in ZBrush because... It is, it is one thing to do surfaces and solids. It is another thing to do a human, organic. an organic shape, and not have an uncanny valley issue. Um, when you're doing masks, initially, you can get away with having some uncanny valley because it's not supposed to look 100%. Um, but I would say if you're looking to learn, Blender's a good way to start. And with a lot of add-ons, Blender can look very, very, very similar to ZBrush. But Blender will never be ZBrush. Uh, one of my gripes, and I don't know if they've ever fixed it, the last ZBrush I used was 4R7, and I know they're on ZBrush 5 at this point. Uh, 
but file is not in the top left and it always pisses me off it's in the middle because zbrushes uh okay zbrushes uh uh, menus are in alphabetical order because they're mad lads mm. and i think their pixel logic is russian are they not no i don't think so i don't know though i know that uh lychee uh, thomas comes from pixel logic does he really yeah I yeah he was that. uh he was over at pixel logic for 12 years before he uh came on to mango now I want to interview Thomas more. I, I've reached out to Thomas a few times for an interview, but like, uh, uh, go figure. They're crazy busy right now, not only trying to, you know, have their software continue to be awesome, uh, but, you know, dealing with all the stuff that's going on that they don't want to talk about, which is totally understandable because I will try to pull it out. <laughs> um, I And I love Lychee. I will say the latest Prusa 2.4, I am preferring prusa's uh auto arranging and uh, auto rotating mm. algorithm because now they let you choose they let you choose best surface quality least overhangs lowest z well and it is open source so it is open source so they they could easily port it into lychee if or they they could port it into lychee i'm not going to say easily but they no, could port but... it into lychee if they wanted and that is a bummer for me and it was a bummer for me when Prusa changed. Prusa changed their algorithm from being prettiest to uh, least overhangs. And it messed with the way that I did everything. Lychee, I don't know what algorithm they use, but being able to choose it as, as you know, a person, that would be pretty cool. And that is a feature that I like in Prusa 2.4. However, Prusa 2.4 is nowhere near as stable as Lychee Slicer is. But it's Isn't also Lychee open alpha. source. Uh, Lychee is not open source. I don't. Oh, okay. Yeah, I say I don't think it is. Um, if it is, they wouldn't charge for a pro edition. Um, well, you could still charge for pro editions on open source. Why? I would just compile the the, the pro edition myself and not pay for it. Yes, but like stuff could talk back uh, to their servers and whatnot, depending on certain things that. I don't Depending think Lychee is open source, but I also don't think that Lychee no. is going to find themselves in the same place that Cheetu Box is finding themselves. No. So, you know, no. I will be curious to see what's well, this. Well, Lychee's not going to lock things down. <laughs> like, well, Lychee's not making boards either. Not yet, at least. Yeah, even when they are, though. Like, you know, I mean, they're, you know, in a, their OS will be on the board that, that right. we're producing. Right. I don't ever envision Mango locking things down. That's just not in their culture. Yeah, I don't think it is either. I don't think it is either. Yeah, there's a. I uh, I think the future is all partnerships. And anybody who can't learn how to get along with others isn't going to do well in the business world going forward. And so, I mean, that means maybe it's not all open all the time, but the idea of trying to lock down things is just not likely to do well. I would say in the current consumer market. That is that is a problem. And, you know, I've talked to people in the industry, and I think we talked about it last time you were on, about I don't mind closed source as long as there is the ability for it to either be affordable or for it to be licensed, right? So Box is doing this SDK thing. We covered the SDK license agreement, which is atrocious. We don't know yet. It's been, I guess, what, three or four weeks now since the SDK license agreements came out. We still don't we don't have an official word from Lychee yet as to what the plan is there. But if for some reason the SDK isn't workable, we kind of find ourselves in the same place one more time. 
Um, and I'm, I'm, I would have hoped that we would see some movement from Elegoo specifically about adopting a standardized file format for this, um, but th they're not. And they misled customers about um, Chitu, Lychee, and the Elegoo Jupiter in their Q&A. They said things that Lychee has not been public about, that Lychee was kind of forced to talk about in their own Discord. And that upset me a lot because it's like you're you're forcing the hand of someone with information that is not public and you're getting pre-orders with an assumption that I'm going to be able to use a better slicer than Chitu Box. And then, of course, we did the video on Liberating Mars, which <laughs> that video did so well. But I, I'm, I'm certain that I probably upset some people in Lychee and... I apologize for that, but you know, at the end of the day, we, we want to uh, we want to make sure that people know that they have options to still use the software that they love dearly. Um, oh yeah, I mean, I was basically in a pipe in like the, the reason that I bought a Jupiter is because I trust the team behind Liberating Mars to ensure that I can use my Jupiter however I like. And now they can liberate Jupiter. Yeah, I mean, it happened in my Discord, so from my perspective, it's like, okay, cool. Somebody is going to reach out and touch me again and be like, hey, look at what we built. And we'll say, great, cool. Like, we really appreciate that. Let's tell everyone about how awesome you are. Now. It's uh, because of your Discord that I talked to both of the individuals involved in uh, Liberating Mars. And go figure, neither of them wanted to come on video for very obvious legal reasons. Uh -huh. um, yep. But, you know, they, they, were, they wanted to keep me in the loop. I'm... You know, they are contributors to other things in the community. And I think it's really cool that these are not just, you know, ethical hackers that are trying to give the middle finger to a company. No, they're they're not trying to give a middle finger to a company. They're trying to unlock the functionality that we all paid for. And I in the video, I don't know if it stayed in the final cut, but in the first cut of that video, I, I made it akin to the farmers that have to jailbreak their own yes. damn tractors so that they can maintain them themselves without having to spend thousands of dollars to ship them to their local John Deere facility so that they can get them worked on by a certified John Deere professional, which likely has less experience on earth than that farmer does working on tractors. And yeah, I can't blame the farmers for doing it. I can't blame the liberating Mars people for doing this either. It's frustrating. Uh, oh, and for those that want to try ZBrush but don't want to spend all the money on it, go go try Sculptress. It's the free version of ZBrush. Uh, it kind of sucks, uh, but it sucks. It, it, it sucks in ways that will get you used to ZBrush. Uh, or there's is it SculptGL is the other one, Justin, where it's browser based that's sculpting. Web based. That's pretty cool. That's what Billy likes, and uh, it, it uses WebGL, which is cool, which is like Womp, but Womp kind of fell off the earth, but uh go try sculpting it is it is a talent yeah. that not everybody has and is not something that you can easily pick up you either got it or you don't and i, I can't uh, do I it for me. it's like keyboarding for the future if it, it is, is yeah digital engineering is the new job skill set it's i shouldn't even say new because it started with like second life the mm. very first like digital engineers who were making money, making things only for the virtual world, Second Life. Now that virtual digital construction has an exit ramp into the real world via resin 3D printers. Yeah. If you can teach yourself, if you are a young person 
and you're looking for something to study, you should be figuring out digital sculpting because you can you can make your own career. Whatever you want to make. If nothing else, come talk to Atlas because we might hire you because we're looking for people to make random shit. Um, that, that I I cannot help but imagine that every single future business has to have a short supply chain. This whole long supply chains, 50, 60, 70 different companies in the supply chain, that shit ain't going to work anymore. In a world where you have to be worried about a port locking down because somebody got some kind of highly contagious viral disease. And so that port's now locked down for six weeks. You're not going to be able to deal when fuel prices jump. And now your shipping prices are too high on your little widget that you're getting from Tajikistan. You're fucked. Or when but someone tries to Tokyo way, drift the Suez Canal and gets stuck. I mean. Exactly. <laughs> or when, when, when the national government decides to, to invade another country like it happened in Hong Kong. You know, I mean, Hong Kong was one of the financial capitals of the world. And look at what happened when Beijing decided to step in. Now, it's not like they've been completely decimated, but you go look at the numbers. There's a lot less business happening in Hong Kong. And if you were a Westerner, what happened to your business when all of a sudden Beijing decided to change the rules? I would imagine that similar things are going to happen over the next five years. And so the shorter your supply chain on is, especially if you're in North America, the better. Don't trust Europe either. It's not like they're going to protect no. us. They can't even defend themselves against Russia. Sorry, Aaron, dear. <laughs> One of my favorite uh, startups that's that, that's been really coming up is, I can't think of the name of it, but they do the uh, 3D printing vending machines. Is 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 what their whole yes. their, their whole idea is. It's at, it's Adler Riley. I don't know is the company. Um, or Alder Riley, and he, they, like, standard size vending machine, almost maybe a little bigger, and they can just drop those off in cities, and you could get access to them. You probably need some sort of maintenance on them that's local or in some way, but you have localized manufacturing, and I think that's really what needs to happen, and I think the stopgap solution for that would be makerspaces and or companies having makerspaces and allowing people to learn and I think that's the problem. Like I'm in LA, there is one makerspace in the entire county. And the county yeah. is one of the largest counties in the world, in the in the country, at least. It's huge. And there's one, one makerspace. What I can say is this. I have a banking call on Wednesday because we're trying to set up a franchise operation. Oh, that's the real F word. <laughs> that's the real f word homie a franchise you want to go forward with a franchise agreement all that kind of stuff too yeah we're uh it's not want it's what we're in the yes that is the answer is yes wow. we have the business plan we're working up the financing and the numbers um but i can yeah, I mean, to make your space i'd do it <laughs> yeah i mean that the idea is it's a make it's a print on demand and 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 all of the additive manufacturing sitting in the back and then it's lots of fun shit sitting in the front and you, and you show up as a regular consumer for the fun shit. And then we make most of the money on e-commerce running that print farm nonstop. The foot traffic keeps things interesting. Humans need communion. And I use that word intentionally. We are a rapidly secularizing society with nowhere for us to engage in communion with each other that's not buying shit. I think 2022, 2023 is people having a place to go 
where they can just be with each other and experience things in the meet space, not just online. And so that's that's kind of what we envision our makerspaces being, a place where you come to, to create, whether it be tabletop shit, DIY shit, whatever it is that gets you going. I agree. And as someone that was a makerspace director, I, I ran a 9,000 square foot makerspace. I did all I, – I, I made that place – well, I, I built it, right? From the ground up, I built it. And then I got injured, so I left. Um, but, you know, and as someone that basically runs a makerspace right now, it's just a private makerspace. It's it's my own maker playground. Um, I know about the challenges that come into it. And I think the big one is people are morons. Sorry to yeah. all you people out there. You're, you lizard people, you're fine. But the regular people... <laughs> Y'all are morons, myself included, okay? We do dumb shit because we don't think about it. The amount of times that I have dealt, and this is at local makerspaces, of people blowing a saw stop, which is the the, the machine that stops a, saw, a, a table saw blade in milliseconds because they were morons and used a wet piece of wood. Maybe they tried to cut aluminum through it without turning off the saw stop is incredibly high. To the point where our local makerspace, which is a county away from me, there is no makerspace in my county. Um, they have a wall of shame where they have the blown cartridge with the person's picture above it. It's a wall of shame. Now, amazing. if it worked, you go into, I, I think they I think they call it the, uh, the, the saved fingers category uh, where your picture and your blade <laughs> is there. And then they have, it, it, it's you holding up all 10 of your fingers as the photo. And, and I think that's hilarious. Like to me, that's awesome because, you know, you, na name and shame when you can, but then, you know, show off the, yeah, you know what? I had a kickback. My hand got caught, caught in the blade, but that's a, that's a $150 mistake that most average users can't afford. We, the makerspace that I, that I worked on was heavily subsidized. So membership was 125 a month. And I mean, and this got you access to a $90,000 Haas three axis mill. Most makerspaces are not like this. Most makerspaces are, uh, literally like what, what I have here at 3D Musketeers, right? Bootstrapped. It's, we buy stuff when we can, we might not have the greatest, you know, tools and whatever, but it's enough to get you started. Right. And it's probably better than what you have at home. And the goal is you get enough members. And as they upgrade stuff at home, you get their old stuff. It's a tax write off for them. Yeah. But see, the thing is, is like, that's why the model broke. Yeah. Because you're right. People aren't particularly bright. Yeah. yeah. The other thing that's very important is most people who show up in a makerspace, they want to make something. They, they think they do anyways, but they don't actually. What they want is to be given something that they feel they had a little bit of ability to customize. That's yeah. why IKEA works so well. That's why what works so well? IKEA. IKEA. Yes. That's fair. So <laughs> when we talk about a maker space, what we're actually talking more about is 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 having think about like the Apple the Apple bar. When you show up in an Apple store. You, you, you don't need to really bit. worry about it. Yeah, you walk up to the person and, and they take care of the thinking for you. It'll be the same thing. You walk into the spot and you're like, hey, I want this. I want that. I saw this on your catalog. I like this particular kind of item. And then there's a trained professional there who actually knows how to use the machines that you never get to touch. 
you can see them all running and, and whirring away in the background, but you don't need to touch those. You don't actually want to. You just want the experience. I, I really fundamentally That's believe like true. people want that. See, I'm the guy that wants all hands on all the time. That's why I made a great makerspace director because I had to become the expert on everything before we opened our doors or at least know. One of the big things, I don't know how to weld. And unfortunately, the welders did not come in before my time there ended. Uh, but it was something that, like, I got in contact with a guy locally who was a master welder who used to weld the frames on every Harley Davidson that that factory put out for, like, 15 years. So the dude ostensibly knows how to weld. He was going to be the master <laughs> welding teacher, give myself and any of the other staff private lessons. And he was going to do all of this for a membership and access to a couple of machines that you would normally have to pay for. And that's how these businesses make money. You find people like me, people like the three of us on this call that want to be involved because they want to share their knowledge and they're in, and they're willing to trade for access to other stuff or more I think knowledge. you need to have, I think you kind of have to have two tiers almost. What Will is saying and then what Grant is saying. You have to have that kind of separation on who's who. Like there's gonna be some some little bright eyed kid who comes in there, and doesn't know what what the heck they're doing, or even if it's not a kid and it's just they want to kind of build something, or there's someone who actually wants to learn and wants to further their skills, and then those are the people you end up bringing on to work there. Almost is how it, I, I think you kind of have to have that. There's two there's two groups of people. What we imagine doing with that that kind of stuff, and a lot of this is definitely still aspirational is that we will have learn how to use a CNC router day. Yep. Learn how to use a die cut day. And and once a month, once a week, depending on demand, depending on the store, have classes that actually educate people on how to use these devices. And it does kind of become a backdoor way for job interviewing to find people to staff the store. But it's also just to, I mean, the key part for Atlas's success is that we, we learned that we needed to educate the audiences we were working with how to yes. be better resident. I think it's the exact same thing with makerspaces. Makerspaces put all these tools out for people, but they didn't fucking teach anybody how to use them. And then they were bummed when people stopped coming. Because again, people show up and they're aspirational. They want to make something, but they don't want it to be hard. Yep. which means they have to be educated, which means the first businesses actually need to be set up knowing that everybody who walks through their door ain't going to know what they're doing, and they need to be handheld. That's money up front in education. And maybe some makerspaces tried that, but in aggregate, that wasn't the business model. Our it's true. frame of reference is more than that. It's actually a far lower cost to come and play because you have far less that you can do so that we can get more people coming to, to, to play and know that, hey, if I come in, I'm going to be able to get discounts on having things made for me by the trained Atlas staff in the, in the makerspace. And if I'm not a member, I can still have stuff made. But if I'm a member, I get a discount. Yeah. And, you know, and, and you might be able to work on some certain like aspects of finishing the project. Like you're not cutting yeah. the wood for your IKEA furniture. You're assembling the few screws. So like if you have like an electronics project that it's like a Raspberry Pi, it's already flashed for you. It's already, but all you have to do is put it in the enclosure, plug it in and kind of get it all booted up and connected to whatever it is. Exactly. And like that type of stuff, that's kit based type of situations, but you kind of get to see the kits being made. And I yes. think, I, I, I think that's 
the coolest part. I like. I wish I had more of that, that I didn't have to go and get that out on my own and do it on the internet and do it in my kitchen table. I always like, talked about have... the smartest business idea was someone that would just hang out at a makerspace all day. They would be experts on everything that was there. So they would spend like the first few months learning every single machine and then just wait for somebody to walk in the door that will instantly pegged right they want to have they 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 might want to drill one hole but that is as much as they really want to do right they think they want to do stuff but they really just kind of want to see it happen in front of their face and your business model is literally you see those people come through because you can you can pin them from the minute they open their mouth right you grab them you say all right let's talk about what you want to do and then you present them with a finished product you charge them some money and you send them on their way. And now, and like from from a makerspace, when I was a makerspace director, I'm like, please, dear God, I want some of these people. Because what happens is the people that come in that want to just learn one or two things, and but they want their entire thing done for them, they become the problems, right? They're the problem children that are going to bother you about everything. Like when their 3D print doesn't work, they're not going to blame their code they're not going to blame the way they set up the printer no they're going to blame your crappy printers your crappy staff or you being crappy and yep if you can have someone that is going to grab those people and say i got you fam and the staff knows oh tuh, huh, justin's got them we're good carry on then it makes the business run as a business and a lot less like a charity which a lot of them tend to be a lot of them are federal nonprofits, because it is very, very difficult when you're letting randos from the street come in to utilize, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars of machinery to find a way that works without insurance killing you. Yep. Yes. You know, see, the trick is you don't let them touch it. They have to feel like they are, but they never actually get you. Okay, we're going to let you stand whole- three feet away from the print, uh, from the printer. Don't cross the line. Mind the gap. Well, so what we're what, what we're what we're thinking about is a giant acrylic clear plexiglass. So we literally wall off the entire back in clear plexi. Okay. And the customers can't even get back there. The workers are just back there working like little fucking ants, moving shit, making shit like uh, so you know, Santa's elves. Don't tap on the glass; it scares so the workers. Somewhere, that's, exactly. somewhere that you guys should look at is the Exploratorium in San Francisco. Okay. So. 90% of it, I'd say, is an awesome hands-on museum for all ages. Like, STEM, everything. Nice. And, like, it's Ooh. awesome. But then they also have an area where it's a makerspace. And they have professionals that are building these exhibits that you're seeing. And, like, it's walled off of a big sheet of plexiglass or regular glass. Like, it's just a big window. And they also have, like, a table. You can go and ask them questions, like, if they're, like kind of bringing out a project to show and like you can watch them actually work and it's really cool adam savage worked there for a while from my understanding and like he like there's so many cool projects that they do out of there that it's not just a maker space for these people that work there but it's also to kind of get the people and like give them a sense that they got to be a part of it it's that i think that's now that's cool really cool and so I, I guess, Will, correct me if I'm wrong, would this just, I mean, it sounds like it would just be me taking all of this back into a retail environment, having a front end that, you know, shows people how the stuff works, but the back end is literally the business running on its own. Um, exactly. 
Okay. All right. Well, then, shit, I've done this before. <laughs> I used to have a retail business doing this. A lot of the FDM people who tried to do this before, they have a lot of the knowledge they already need. Yep. What they need to do is cut the fat. Instead of having 50 fucking FDM printers, you need five or ten. You need five or ten MSLA printers. Yep. And then maybe a CNC router and maybe a die-cut machine and maybe a laminator. Maybe and a laser. And then a regular 2D printer. And that's fucking it. You don't need a $10,000 Stratus. Ah, no, 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 no. It's, it's $15,000, $20,000 in off-the-shelf consumer printers that, that, that you then spend another fifteen dollars or $20,000 in training the people to use them so that you have competent staff in the store. When someone shows up and asks a question, there can't be any, uh, I don't know. Let me, like, no, 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 no. You need to know on the spot. That's not, and that's what, going back to the Apple thing. Your genius bar. Yeah. They're not geniuses. They've just been trained on this. Yeah. And if you don't want a genius, you go to Lewis Rossman, right? Who is the, but he's if, the real if, genius. If, if, if you want a real genius, but like, yeah. but they make you feel like they're a tier above you when you go in there. And like, they took away that bar aspect of it and they come and sit down with you. They literally have little balls on the floor that you go and sit on. Yep. Because they want them to feel like they're coming down to your level and helping you and bringing you in along to the experience. And like, well, I, I, I want this to happen really badly now. Cool. Help me make it happen, mate. Help me make it happen. Alice coins. Yes. Buy Alice coins, motherfuckers. To the moon. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, we have uh, back again. We have C Catlet nineteen eighty four asking: Is Atlas making a water washable resin yet? No, and we probably won't because, and I mean, this is possible. You're hurting yourself. The water washable resins are more toxic and they're more dangerous to you. Think of them like light cigarettes were in the nineteen eighties. The tobacco industry tried to sell everybody on light cigarettes because they're better. There's less tar. There's less nicotine. Yeah, yeah. Except for the problem was. They got deeper into your lungs, and so they did damage to the very sensitive at the base of your lungs. In the same way, water washable resin, both literally and psychologically, makes you feel like it's safer. So you take less preventative measures, which means you increase your exposure. That stuff is just as toxic as regular resin. It also it's is way worse to print with. It's also way worse to print with. It has a much higher tendency to split than uh than regular resin does the water washable stuff at least in my experience it's why we no longer buy water washable resin it is so much worse to deal with yeah i mean i have heard a lot of mixed stuff on that so i i, I basically just stopped having that particular argument because there is a little bit of variance but what there is no variance on at all there is no debate water washable resin is more dangerous for you than non-water washable resin there's yeah. no such thing as Safe to touch, safe to drain resin, and and I am very perturbed by how the industry has marketed water washable resins or soy based resins as somehow safe when they are emphatically not. I mean, even the formwares resin. Okay, so and you don't have to take my word for this. This is from university professors who have no financial reason to lie. They test the skin safe resins. And they give us that every single one on the market, every single one, when you put it next to skin, it fucking kills it because of the photo initiators. 
And that's resins that are nominally skin safe. They're supposed to be quote non-toxic and yet they're still killing skin cells. So if those mm -hmm. resins are doing it, there's no way in hell the water washables aren't as well. And, and I understand many people are like, I don't like the, I don't like the smells or I don't like the things or I have this reason or that reason. And my rejoinder is that like, it may be that you need to wait a little while and, 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 and wait for there to be some further advancements in this hobby before you push forward further. Or you have to accept the limitations of water washable resins as they can. And for the love of God, wear gloves because that's, it's not safe. I mean, that, that's, why I just like that's why I haven't Go done ahead. resin. I don't have a safe space to do it. And like, unless there was an easy way to be able to just not have the mess, not have, I mean, you can contain the mess, obviously, but not have any of those risks in a home situation where I am right now. And like having that maker space, I think would be the solution to a lot of people who want to get into it, but can't because they don't have a place at home for it. And that were, that's part of what started us down this idea was was to a we saw a whole lot of people buying stl files even though they didn't have printers and that was just kind of weird like you know Bob, you don't have a printer what are you doing if we, i have a friend who has a printer or i use shapeways or some other company that prints for me i'm like okay well i need to figure out how to make money on that uh and then people saying my wife hates my printer my mom hates my printer my sister hates my printer it's, it's almost always a male whose female relations don't like the printer. Sometimes it's the other way around, but it's generally men whose female relations don't like the printers. Hilariously, my girlfriend made likes think, the oh. resin printers more than I do, but... but... Both my parents hate the printers. Well, they like it to a degree. It's that I take up half the, our kitchen with them, but... Why are they in the kitchen? Because uh, I don't have room in my room for them. I see there's, an empty there's wall a, behind you for shelves. Next there's a desk in the kitchen, but... I, well, I am seeing an empty wall behind you that, that shelves could fit on. Yeah, but do I want my Ender? It's really loud in my room. And the Prusoch is fairly loud in my room. Oh, I'm so sorry, you poor little 17-year-old. <laughs> You'll be fine. You're not going to be able to take him to college. No, sadly. So we have to get yeah, that. No, there's no way you're going to have that. So we have to have the remote printing no. and train my brother on how to use them for me. <laughs> I, uh... I would, I, I am hopeful, I shouldn't even say hopeful, I'm fairly confident that over the next three years, there will be serious advancements in the material science of resins. There are lots of people exploring non-based uh, photopolymers, finding any way and every way to get to a less toxic way to create printable plastic. Um, and it's just kind of a matter of getting from here to there. And then in the interim, accepting that, like, shit ain't safe. It's yep. not like radioactrous, but you do need to, you need to respect the chemistry to steal a good line. Because um, yeah. if you don't respect the chemistry, you will negatively impact yourself, your community, um, and, and your local environment. Yeah. Uh, Justin, uh, in the Atlas Discord, uh, Aaron Deer tagged you in a photo. Do you mind uh, putting that up on the screen for everybody so that they can take a look at it from water washable resin that weeks after printing and it was even primed and painted, it shattered. And now I, I'm guessing this is not because it was dropped. 
Uh, but I'm guessing it's it's the internal stresses. Normally, it's internal stresses for this water washable resin. Like, that is no bueno, my dude. Yeah. yeah. It's one of our go-to things. You know, it's... Okay, so, I mean, to, to really get into what's actually kind of going on there is is, is pigmented resins. We, we all think that we're curing them enough. We never. But we're not. Yeah. Most of the light resins, won't penetrate it, right? Most of them need 30 minutes or more. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's why they, they need like 30 minutes or an hour of cure time under 40 or 50 watt UV lights. And people are like, I'm doing five minutes on a 25 watt light. That's cured, mate. It's not cured. It's just not. What we really should all be doing is moving as fast as we can to clear resin because clear resins without pigments are basically the only ones that are truly cured all the way through because the UV can pass all the way through the layers. It's not blocked by the pigment. Unfortunately, every single gray. Go ahead. Good. Uh, I said, unfortunately, the average the consumer plastic. hates it. They hate, they hate, they hate clear resin because yes. they can't see shit. And the average business owner, I'm not willing to take the stupid thing outside and rattle can it because the rattle canning is never yeah. going to be perfect. And all of that extra effort is money that I'm not getting. So I'd rather print in pigmented resin and let them know, hey, this is not, this is a green, I always tell people, these are green cured. If we cure them 100% before we ship them to you, they will not survive shipping. You need to take your part, you need to take it outside. And I always put them in plastic bags. So I need you to take it outside, open the plastic bag, and leave it outside for a couple of hours. Then you can handle it. And only then can you handle it. Yeah, and basically what I would say is even that ain't enough. You get off-gassing between your layers. That's what we've been told by, by two resin manufacturers and the university. That the there is uncured resin trapped in between the layers. That the, the, the crystal lattices that get uh, formed during the polymerization process will trap uncured molecules of resin in between the layers. That that's part of why you need these exceptionally long cure time, post-cure times to, to get that resin cured in between the layers. Yep. And that if you don't, they will weak over time. And with water washable resins, that internal curing that doesn't get done, that causes them to off-gas and crack. Like, the so hollow models, holy crap. Hollow models, almost none of us are curing those right. Because you need yeah. to cure the outside and the inside. You got to get into it. If her, you're yeah. using pigment. Yeah. Well, and even if you shine, a, if you just shove a, a, an LED light up and into that hole, unless that's a full 360 hole, you're not actually getting everything. You're just getting, you know, the the 180, the 90 to 180 degree arc above the LED. Not most LEDs are not 360 degree LEDs. You only are getting an effective range of 90 to 100 180 degrees, which again means you've got uncured resin, and uncured resin is the danger in this. And if you're a business owner and you're operating at scale, you know, it's not that maybe one mini won't get somebody sick, but if you send out 10,000 minis. What's the probability that one of those ends up in little Billy's hands and ends up in little Billy's mouth and it's not properly cured. And now little Billy has got uh, a toxic, you know, they've been exposed to some kind of toxic and little Billy's mom's on the phone fucking shouting as to why your product made her little angel sick. And that's always my concern. Yeah. It's the liability <laughs> of, Oh, it's safe. Dumbass Timmy just decided to do six shots of resin, and now we got to deal with that. <laughs> yes. 
Um, yeah, we, we, did have a, we did have a question. Um, Jimmy uh, Johansson said, is there any risk of over curing? I have an any cubic washing cure. and never know what time to put it on. Okay. So I think that's a great question to ask. Yes and no. It depends on the resin. So, and, and, and what does over curing actually do in this case? So first and foremost, if it's a multi-part piece, wear gloves and do not cure it until you put it together because the, the post curing on every single resin on the market is going to cause dimensional distortion. None of these resins are dimensionally accurate. No. None of them are using uh, what I would call scientifically rigorous uh, methods for determining their shrinkage factor. They're just kind of making it up as they go. Um, and so multi-part stuff, yes. If you overcure them, your pieces might not fit well together. But in terms of losing detail, are you going to have a face that suddenly becomes muddy from a post-cure? Are you going to lose the fine details on the media that you just printed? No, you are not. All you're going to do is ensure that you don't end up with, with resin that's not fully cured on your model. Right. Um, the old, now, you might, again, on some resins, depending on the resin. Um, okay, so Vulcan, for example, far more flexible in its green state than it is in its fully post-cured state. It, it, and that's by design so that you can remove the supports without having the mini be brittle and break when you're removing the supports. But you want really hard, you want your resin to, to, to cure very hard because that makes the edges more uh, high contrast. So it makes your mini look better. So the post-curing on Vulcan, the longer you post-cure it, the harder it gets. We got For some reason, the longer you post-cure it, the more brittle it gets. And so it depends. Some some resins, the longer you post-cure them, the more brittle they get. You as an individual user can make that judgment call on the risk that you want to take versus the brittleness that you require. As a business owner, your only thing should be liability. Yeah. Am I sending out a product that's going to get me fucking sued? Because it's better to send out a mini that gets broken and have to send it again then send out a mini or a product that puts somebody in a hospital because it's going to be a way bigger bill. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. It's also why we don't sell resin to children. Uh, <laughs> I, I make certain that when someone does business with us when it comes to resin 3D printing, I send them our videos on resin. I tell them very clearly, this shit is toxic. If you don't know what you're doing, then I need to handle it 100% for you. And I said, if you're, if you're not local – then you need to find someone who's local. If you don't know what you're doing, you got to find somebody who's local because shipping fully cured resin parts. And if you're not handling them yourself, it, it's, it's, it's a waste of time. Um, the amount of packing and padding that you have to do is yeah, more than the mini. It's bad. It's real bad. Yep. Uh, and I, I, I'm curious, Will, because I have both. I have the tiny washing cure, which is over there, broken. Yeah. I have the big washing cure, and the big washing cure also now put LEDs on the bottom so it can shoot up yep. into the parts. What is your thought on that? Because when I look at doing it on a production scale, I said, oh, shit. I built it's got, a five-foot table. You built a five-foot table with nothing but UV lights? Yep, on the bottoms, on the sides, and on the top. I mean, you're, you're in uh, Nevada or Arizona. Why don't you just take it outside? Consistency, methodology. I can't actually reliably say, like, on any given day, how much UVA and how much UVB am I actually getting exposed to in any given unit volume? 
For an individual, it's fine. Toss it outside. Who gives a fuck? For as a business, I need a repeatable process that optimizes for time. Outside, too slow. Do you have windows in your space at all? No. Damn, because I really wanted to see what it looked like with that table on in the middle of the night (laughs) to see how much UV light you're emitting to the surrounding environment. Um, Is the sun? I went down to the Home Depot. And I bought some big ass fucking clear acrylic that's UV. Uh, it's got UV coating on it. And I put all of the, the the strip lights on the inside, so it blocks any harmful UV from getting out. Basically, and... you created your own mini grow house, but it's for resin, yeah. <laughs> not <laughs> pot. <laughs> yeah. Coincidentally, I built grow houses for weed too. It's not that different. What, what about both? <laughs> I mean, yeah. realistically, yeah. it's not different at all. The difference is you need instead of just UV, you need full spectrum. Yeah. Yeah, you need full spectrum, you need blue, and you need pink, and you. So with the. Uh, but we're not yes, talking dude. about that on this channel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's legal, so I can talk about it. It's but how to grow flowers. That's all. That's all we're talking about. I mean, we, we yeah, do yeah. have grow lights for the fish tanks. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's it, it is it is a different methodology because of the lights that you use, but the overall construction is relatively the same, and that's why like yeah. you'll see um, ventilation systems. A lot of us, like for my laser ventilation, it's a grow house fan. It's exactly what it is. Why? Because it's cheap and it works. And it's designed to do this exact purpose. But 24 hours a day. The ones that come with your laser, while they have more static pressure, are only designed to run like 20 minutes every hour. And they also draw like 900 watts. This thing draws 140 watts. It's got lower static pressure, but it works just fine. So I don't give a shit. Also, not to be the dead horse, but like this is just a thing for me because I am, uh, I'm globally minded. The Wash and Cure is a profit-making venture that underwrites the ability of these companies to sell their printers at a loss. That is suboptimal market behavior. So I would encourage everyone to build their own Wash and Cure stations instead of paying Elibu or any cubic $250 in pure profit because it costs them almost nothing to build those things almost nothing at all and it's how they're able to sell printers at a loss you know i i i think people need to act global and buy local and 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 that means that's a very good phrase right there i i i i want to pick that phrase out justin write this down because we're supposed to be doing this for marketing shit act global think local that that's a hell of a phrase man i I don't i don't want to interrupt you too much there but that is a hell of a phrase continue on on that path we are all i mean most of us who are here right now we're millennials we all know we're sophisticated consumers of media we should also be sophisticated business people whether or not you're running your own business don't we all as americans anyways the phrase vote with your wallet vote with your pocketbook fairly common phrase yep. when you buy an any cubic wash and cure when you buy an elegoo wash and cure when you buy a frozen 70 dollars curing thing what you're actually doing is underwriting these companies selling products at a loss mm-hmm. to keep out western competitors you want to bring manufacturing home stop going to fucking walmart and buying cheap chinese stuff that under you know, that allows them to sell stuff at a loss vote with your freaking wallet you know everyone who's salting about elegu doing what elegu's done or any cubic doing what any cubic's done three million dollars in three days on on elegu and two million dollars in two days on any cubic y'all are doing it to yourself like 
It, it is that simple. Every business in the world right now, for most of us, for the first time in our lives, are more sensitive to consumer demands than they've ever been before. Yep. Because none of them has as much profit as they used to. So even an inkling of customers getting mad about a thing and businesses responding. Yeah. You know, people talk about woke capitalism. It's not woke capitalism. It's just responsive capitalism because the market is so competitive now that if you don't listen to the consumers, you don't listen to the market, they'll go around you. So, and I blame Amazon for this, by the way. I, I, I think it's all on Amazon for why people are so focused on price rather they are on quality, consistency, and all that. Because Amazon says, well, shit, you can get it in two days. Yesterday during a staff call, Justin's like, you know, why don't you just get a compact flash to micro SD card or SD card reader? It's It, it was delivered 10 minutes ago. Like we yep. we talked about it on the staff call it was delivered ten minutes ago. Now I can't buy that made in the United States, anyways. It is a very 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 specific thing that is they're just not produced anymore. But my preference is when I can to try to buy a local. But unfortunately, yep. local's expensive, and you have to understand that if you want your local businesses to survive, you kind of have to act globally, think locally. Yeah. It's well, and this is fourth wave industrial shit, man. This is what additive manufacturing and 3D printing was supposed to do for us. It was supposed to make it possible for us to bring production closer to home so that small businesses, local businesses could produce at a level that allows them to be competitive with centralized production. You know, the, the last 30 years of economic development are all predicated on centralized manufacturing with long supply chains. Right billions of people out of poverty and it built the global trade system that now makes all of us you know have lovely wonderful lives the next iteration of that though is bringing those same capabilities at a smaller scale closer to home instead of producing 50,000 of the same thing let's produce 5,000 of the same thing and maybe instead of it costing 20 cents a unit it's 30 cents a unit but 30 cents a unit is still viable especially when you factor in uh transportation costs so it's not going to change overnight but for us in the 3d printing world the way you can make the biggest difference is stop buying the things that are just margin producers for these companies because that's all that it is a washing chair station is not 200 dollars. it's just not no you can build it for 30 bucks 40 bucks and 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 easily you can go down to your home depot mylar blanket for five dollars from walmart Five dollar, uh, uh, twenty gallon or five gallon bucket from uh, from Home Depot, and then the LED strip lights. Yeah, that stuff's got to come from China right now because there's no domestic manufacturers of LED strip lights. But whatever, that's twenty five bucks. You're looking at forty dollars for, for for basically a curing station, and another ten bucks gets you something that'll that'll stir it. So now you've got a wash and cure. Yeah, forty five dollars. I knew that so when I bought that. ours. Just take a brushless quad motor and a servo tester that's all you need and, and, and like I, I knew that when i bought ours but i want the con as a business owner right now i want the convenience of not having to build it myself and more specifically as a disabled business owner someone that can't just like start hucking around eight foot two by fours like they used to using chop saws bent over freaking nail guns i can't use a lot of those tools anymore because my back just won't let me so for right now 
the washing cure plus that I bought on pre-order for $169 is absolutely worth the price that I paid because of the convenience that it provides to me. But yes, if we do start really spinning up resin and now that my garage is effectively turned into a set for YouTube, I'm going to likely, you know, as our resin grows, move the resin into the garage because resin doesn't give a damn if it's hot. Resin cares if it's cold, but it rarely gets that cold in Florida. It does matter actually. When you get above about 92, 93 degrees Fahrenheit, um, the the chemistry changes again. Well, shit. <laughs> um, so what often happens is um, twofold. A, you kill your LCD screen because the exothermic reaction is itself fairly hot, and then it's hot in your ambient environment, so you fry your electronics because it just the, the, these machines don't have good cooling solutions. That's fair. They don't. Um, and then again, the, the resin chemistry itself changes. So um, when it gets hotter, you need less exposure. And then it can get so hot that um, basically, it's not that the, the photopolymer doesn't uh, react, but you get almost too thin. And Oh, it, yeah, the viscosity will change, right? Yeah. yeah. And, that, and that basically well, can just fuck with how things print. So you'll get more print artifacts. You can have the resin also settle out more easily. Mm -hmm. Weird stuff can happen. Temperature matters is all I'm going to say. Not just hot or cold. Cold is the bigger thing. Cold kills stuff faster. Uh, but as yeah. a guy who lives in the desert, you do have to pay attention to the heat. That sucks because I am starting to run out of room. <laughs> um, but I guess that's just one more push to add air conditioning, but like just enough to keep it at like 85 or below, right? You know, you, you just kind or you know, you don't let it get above a certain temperature. Um, then yeah. resin would be fine because like resin is or just as... insulate and open the door what insulate the whole garage and then open the door to your house you don't need separate air conditioning I mean, yes I could do that it, we have thought about I mean I, the air handler it literally shares a wall with the garage I could also just as easily hop up Cut into the hole. attic throw yeah. a vent and right into the garage and I'm done there yeah. is one key problem uh, the garage is an addition so there is a second roof in the attic that you have to deal with uh, number two yeah. is, at least here, because the uh, the garage is in there is no insulation at all. There is yeah. no insulation in the roof. The walls are not even painted. It's raw concrete block. Um, at least that's that, that's not part of the set. The set is actually the exterior, the old exterior wall of the house, so it's the stucco. Um, but yeah, there's no insulation. I know the first thing we're doing is we're going to insulate the garage door, because that's going to, one, cut down on the heat, but two, the garage door echoes a lot, so it's going to cut down on the reflection uh, in there as well. But, like, those are YouTuber problems. Those are not business owner problems. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I, I, I mean, realistically, if we can spin up a pretty successful resin business right now, those, uh, those changes are not that expensive when you look at, you know what it would take to add more resin printers inside of the house versus adding them outside of the house. You see, you know, you know, and speaking about that, the other thing that I think is going to be fairly different, and it's why I said the franchise thing at the beginning, I think that the makerspaces everywhere didn't have a national store. It was it was too disjointed. You couldn't, it's not like Starbucks. You go to Starbucks anywhere in the country and you get basically the same experience. Yeah. Americans are a very mobile people. Mm -hmm. I, I think that, um, if you're interested in starting a resin printing business, definitely reach out to us because we're looking to create 
a variety of different partnerships in cities all over the country. Because I, I really do think that that's the only way to make it work. It, it's getting to a point where every one of these shops is actually just a node in a distributed network that's moving work, resin, and products around. As part of uh, Amazon's key success is not building big fucking warehouses. It's building distribution networks that keep their products in constant motion. It's the they mail before you even buy it, just based on the statistical probability that you might buy it. I think the exact same thing is going to come into play with the building out of this kind of franchise network where it's anticipating, oh, hey, we need to send things in advance to this shop in Texas that's doing more DIY. They need more of this. This shop over there needs more of that. Thing. These people over there, let's send another you know, coder over there. It's, it's actually creating almost like one big store that just has little shop fronts that pop up in various American towns all over the place. Mm-hmm. You make an order. It pops up out of that storefront, not out of a big warehouse that you had to, you know, to displace thousands of trees or build out in the middle of fuck, fuck nowhere. So you have a, a company. If you go out to Nevada, it's creepy. Go up to northern Nevada. It's true. It's pretty creepy. For like two, three hours, there's nothing. It's nothing. You come up over, over a mountain, you drive down, and there's just houses. No grocery stores. No nothing. It's just suddenly houses and then giant warehouses. And they're all owned by Amazon, UPS, Walmart. The logistics companies. Yes. That is the last remnants of the old way of doing business. Mm-hmm. These kind of method shops, if you imagine them as medium-sized warehouses, maybe even going into industrial warehousing spaces in major metropolitan areas that are currently very easy and cheap to rent because they don't have people to run in them. It's a smaller space closer to the population. And it's that it's that whole shortening of the supply chains. I think that's the that's, the biggest thing. Anything you can do is shorten your supply chains, man. I mean, I think that's kind of what Amazon's doing right now. Is like they're opening warehouses in much much smaller warehouses that are much more local. Like they opened an Amazon Fresh store. the The market is tiny compared to like a regular supermarket. This must be a California yeah. thing because I don't know about these in Florida. The rest it's, of it yeah. is a warehouse. I can go pick yeah. up my stuff. Almost the same day, anytime I want, if I go to that store for certain things. Yes. Like, but like they have like random electronics, like they have ESP 32s there. Same day. Why? Yep. Why? Because, because your dumbass orders so many of them, they keep them in stock. Probably, actually. <laughs> well, so Amazon has better data on the American people than anybody other than Facebook, which has better data on the American people than, than everybody. The FBI and the CIA go to people like Facebook and Amazon to ask them where people are and what people are doing. Amazon, if you are a regular American, you probably have an Amazon Prime subscription, which means you buy a lot of things through Amazon. And in the same way as uh, the supermarkets back in the 90s introduced loyalty reward cards so that they could figure out what you were buying and then use that to infer what you might buy, all of that data, all of it is available for sale. Amazon has bought a lot of that data, which means they know, hey, if, if Justin just bought this, he'll probably buy that. And, it, and and what's the probability that he'll buy that? When it reaches a certain threshold, they just mail it to that local grocery store that's near. Because within a certain probability, you'll buy it. And it just sits there and it waits for you to buy it. And then over time, they just learn. And if you don't actually buy it, they stop shipping shit there. When I moved back and forth between California and Nevada, 
my first week in California, all my shit took three days to get to me. But then Amazon realized I moved, and then all my shit went back to one day. It's the same thing when I moved back to Nevada. All of my printer shit took an extra day or two to get to me, and then they realized, oh, he moved back to Nevada, and now all of my printer stuff is one day again. Hey, you know what? If that means it takes me less time to get stuff, I'm down for that. And I, I laugh because I, I can buy stuff on, like, when we bought that Sariatech resin. It was shipped by Amazon. It came in an Amazon truck. But that, I bought that, it that, that from the their website. Hmm? Uh, one of the filament manufacturers was just shipping through Amazon when I got... Yeah, it's on uh, MCS. It's how we're going to ship our resin. But I ordered through, not through Amazon. It was actually sent to me for free and they shipped it through Amazon. Yes. That, so that's what Amazon MCF is. So Amazon MCF means Amazon Multi-Channel Fulfillment. And you've got to jump through fucking hoops and shit. But what it allows you to do, and okay, two things. A, always remember when you use somebody else's platform, that means you're subject to their platform. Correct. Amazon MCF means you're running on Amazon's distribution and logistics service network. In the same way as we talked about like an hour ago about how you build a $15 billion factory, that fucker has to constantly run. Yep. You build a half a trillion dollar logistics network that fucker has to run. Amazon didn't have enough internal movement of their own products, so they started selling that as a service in order to ensure they had a certain amount of movement. When COVID hit, a bunch of, a bunch of businesses suddenly were no longer able to access the MCF network code because Amazon prioritized the delivery of certain key goods like gloves, alcohol, and, and, and certain things for people which fucked a lot of Amazon business, the uh, third-party businesses. Mm -hmm. That's slowly getting unfucked. So in very few words, you send a pallet to Amazon. It yeah. sits in Amazon. Yeah. You, Whenever you sell a thing, you go through a little web portal and you say, ship that to Billy Bob Joe. And they, and they, and they bill you less than USPS does on a per-zone basis. Yep. So if you're moving product around, it's just more cost-effective. It really is, and I, I know locally, locally they were able to shut down an international airport for a week. I believe it. Because they needed to upgrade the runway so that they could land larger planes for Amazon Prime Air. And the city said, do it. Yeah. Because, one, Polk <laughs> County. Uh, two, uh because Amazon was willing to pay for the entire, they paid for the entire runway to get made. They paid for the flights to get diverted and they paid to get people from the other closest international airport, Tampa to Lakeland for a week. Amazon covered and it was all of that because it made sense to them from a business that must've cost them 10 or $20 million. And I bet they made it back within a few weeks. They don't care. Okay. They That's own hours. between yeah, hours. Amazon and uh, th there are some phosphate mining companies. They own most of Polk County to the point that there is a large portion of Polk County, Florida that is uninhabitable by humans because of how radioactive it is from the mining of phosphate. It's because the gypsum has radioactivity in it and they have to separate that out. Florida man. This is the part of phosphate mining. Florida's got a lot of phosphate in it and they have no place to put it. So they put it into big, huge reservoirs, which some Floridians might remember historically 
one of them broke a little bit ago and the company's like okay so what do you want it's just toxic water and the city's like no 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 please no and it took them a few weeks to get a fix of just dumping this radioactive water into the into our waterways killing our fish lovely and manatees, the poor manatees. So that's why Florida Man exists. I was always wondering how it happened, and now I know. That's the sunshine laws. Don't believe what you hear. No, it, it, it's about the radioactivity. <laughs> Look, we got a staff member in Chicago, and she she had to tur- she had one of these like citizen apps that would tell you when a a crime w- would occur within a certain distance of you. She said I had to turn it off. I was getting okay, so I get many the same notifications. Stuff all the time. Ninety-nine percent of that's just Karen's posting that there's no. These are from the cops. The cops would post it. She said, "Yeah, there was a guy." She said it on the staff call. There was a guy going around threatening people with a Nerf gun. Yeah, but the, the thing with the Citizen app is, yeah, now they have private security in LA, so they drive around in cop cars with Citizen badging on them. Beautiful. And pretend they're cops. It's it's nice. I should just go ahead and point this out. That is your future, man. The, the world, the world is rapidly changing in a, in a way that hasn't ever occurred in my lifetime, your parents' lifetime, fuck our grandparents' lifetime. Yeah, I mean, some of the '80s movies had it right. They pegged the future as kind of a corporate dystopia. We are running mm-hmm. hell that way. Look at Baghdad. You want to know what the the future of American cities looks like? Look at Baghdad. Wing zones, private security. Uh, that that is the uh, the name of the game. And look at what happened in uh, Katrina. Uh, you know, private security protecting very wealthy homesteads. Um, okay, so this is not related to three D printing, but on the East Coast, you, you know, and in, and in London now, you have these surge taxes for driving. You have to pay more money to drive into the in, in the internal part of the city. They call them congestion taxes. What this really is, is just a way to price out the less well-to-do. The well-to-do will always be able to pay those taxes. It'll never impact them. Everybody else, though, it pushes them further and further out. The more they get pushed out, that private security you just talked about, they get more and more legitimate power because there are fewer and fewer regular people around. So, like, that's fine for me. By the way, on another off-topic subject, Justin, did you feel the earthquake yesterday? Nope. We had a guy on the, there's we, been there's been two back to back. I haven't felt a single one. We had a guy on the maker call that that that's like I'm pretty sure there's an, yep there's an earthquake. Okay, <laughs> that was kind of cool. I know that was like complete. We, we were on an off topic subject, so I just wanted to 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 do that. But not every huh? We've been having a few. Haven't felt them. Oh yeah. A SpaceX rocket went up at like 3 a.m. and everybody freaked out. I'm like, you know, every single time they launch a rocket, like right at like sunrise or sunset, it looks like this, right? Well, there like, was oh a really, my god, it looks so cool. Well, there was a really cool one, with, which was inspiration for. Right. Yeah. Uh, there was a cool that one rocket. Looked, that, one looked, that one looked really beautiful, though. I'm going to have to send you the were, one. Yeah. And it was it was a Falcon. It was a Falcon Heavy. I don't know, but it occurred very early. It was like 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning. And I remember because Amber was flying out that day. And we had the opportunity to go watch that rocket on base but because she had to go to the airport we couldn't go do that so i actually watched it from my car driving back uh from the airport that morning and it was beautiful because as you get high enough the sun 
can hit the 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 rocket trail. Ooh, um, I think uh, there's gonna be a launch from California soon. I remember when. Well, I mean, at this point, it's just a normal occurrence that we have launches. This one we, we get one once one. a year, so. Isn't that fucking awesome? I mean, that makes me so happy. It's interesting that. that people are now <laughs> jaded to rocket launches here in Florida. Yeah. Yeah, it's just because you don't appreciate how significant it is. I mean, it's like 1665 again. It's 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 private companies exploring the new world instead of governments. Yeah. I mean, I don't want a 3D print on the moon, and that's not even insane, man. We're not at all. We're that shit no. before the 2030s. We, we, we can make that happen. <laughs> Someone's going to do it. There's just no way it doesn't happen. There will be additive manufacturing in space before 2030. I fucking know it. Hopefully it's us. But it's already there. They've already got 3D printers on the ISS. Ah, uh, no, that's childish shit. I mean, actually, like, processing silica into glass. With regolith, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and, and just All right, we got to get Jim Green on this podcast now. Damn it, Justin. We got to get him on. Did you see what he retired? I did. Yeah. But it was it was sweet what everyone was saying. I, I didn't get to listen. But I got... TLDR with most of it. I, yeah, I, I Atlas, go ahead. Oh no, I was saying the Atlas Five launches soon from Vandenberg. Ooh. Why are they launch, go, Why are they not using a Falcon Heavy? Well, Atlas is uh, SLS. Oh, okay, different company. Got it. Yeah. Oh, because of course Bezos has to be mad, so he. That's not Bezos. That's. It's not Bezos. Who's SLS? Or it's not SLS. They it's... Are the old, they're fucking Boeing and Lockheed. Yeah, oh, that's Boeing and Lockheed. Manufacturers who basically lived off the government cheap for 30 fucking years and set American and human exploration back two decades so that they could have... I'm not going to rant about it. I hate defense contractors with a goddamn passion. They've wasted trillions of dollars. Just... Ah... Falcon 9 will be As at midnight. A sub though, so for some of it. those people, they are just fine in my book. Thank you very much. <laughs> hey, if they had it, okay. The American government, meaning the American people, spent the equivalent of like $350 to $400 billion to develop the Saturn V rocket system. Do you know that when, Bezo, when Musk rebuilt his Raptors, he had to drag one off the ocean fucking floor because we lost the data because they stored it on old reel-to-reel tapes the actual build we we forgot as a people how to build saturn V rockets because the united launch we didn't rockets, use them very much so i can understand that that is immaterial like we we lost it because of corporate fuckery and because defense contractors have been allowed to uh, have cost plus contracting from the U.S. federal government for far too long. Did you see and what so- the FAA is doing to Starship right now? No, what are they doing? They're pawning them around and adding an extra 30 days to the waiting time for them because they're waiting for public comment on the EPA stuff, even though it's a single rocket test that they're trying to do. Yeah. And we do a lot more harm to the environment than a single rocket test, but I digress. Yeah, and no, so no. everyone's like, just go and spam their form with Rickrolls and just be done with them because they they had an open form to anyone who wants. To, uh, what I'm really hoping will happen soon is that a billionaire somewhere is just going to go out and build a facility in the international waters and just say, fuck it. We're not. That's what Musk did. Musk bought an oil rig. 
yes, but they're not actually, I mean, eventually, yes, that is the plan, but I mean, fewer rocket launches from America. We're, we're, we're a ways away from that, but I, I look forward to that day where they just stop listening to the federal governments of the world that are basically incompetent and sclerotic. I'm libertarian. I'm not a fan of governments. So... <laughs> I'm a fan of 3D printing. That's what I'm a fan of. And I think everyone on this call and everyone that's watching this and listening to us, can is if they're not a fan of 3D printing, I sincerely don't know why they're here. Maybe they just like one of the three of us for whatever reason, and maybe that's a little bit weird. Uh, but I like 3D printing, and I, I look at this and say, we've got some opportunity as a community, as a as a whole, as a country, to be pushing this technology, it, everyone uses Industry 4.0 and uh, Agile Manufacturing. I hate those buzzwords, but it it's great for SEO as far as I'm concerned. Otherwise, I hate using them. Yeah. But we, we look at what traditional manufacturing is. And as someone that has spent, I spent two days last week calling traditional manufacturing companies to see if they would like to utilize 3D printing in their prototyping stage. The amount of them that cussed at me is more than I care to admit. Because why really? Why do they want to do that? I said, well, it'll decrease how long things take for you. It makes your sales process more efficient. And it costs you less money, which means you can maintain higher profit margins. Well, that means we would have to get rid of people. And we don't want to get rid of people. We like our team. I said, I understand you like your team. But couldn't your guy that's doing your prototyping be more useful on a production level machine and like the guy's like no f you hangs up the phone i'm like uh okay and, and i look at it and say we've got a fundamental problem here of of a technology that is just not understood and it's why we, we this podcast was originally started to help people better understand this technology and we look at it and we say all right what do we have right now? We have FDM, which is ostensibly very slow. Unless you want to take tons of time, it's not all that pretty. Um, accuracy is okay. Then you have resin. Resin is very fast, reasonably high accuracy, but it's incredibly toxic. Very few people know how to do it properly, like proper proper and it is unlikely that businesses are going to have somebody in their shop already that can run a 3d printer with the effectiveness that a company like 3d musketeers could do so where do we draw the line and say in source versus outsource and outsource still being a local outsource or a reasonable regional outsource like because there's a business model to be had here and 3dm seems to believe that there is money to be made on this outsourcing method but we find for some reason that there's so much pushback because people don't understand the tech and so we, we we've been trying to educate people but it seems that only the ones that like the technology are willing to be educated so will how do you think that this works is i mean clearly you don't get a four thousand piece order just because you know they like your long hair you get a four thousand piece order because you know what you're doing so how how did all that come to be i'm curious i went to them and said i'm gonna do this thing and got them hyped for it we're in a moment where you build your market there is okay all things are subject to evolutionary processes 
the last 40 years have been selecting for a very particular kind of business. That's why they look at you and say, why the fuck would I want that? Mm -hmm. Because that doesn't do anything for me. Yeah, sure, maybe I can have one prototype, but they can't imagine a world of getting 5,000 of the same unit. They only think of one is very expensive or I buy 50 million of these. There is no middle ground. So I think that the way you, you sell this kind of thing now is finding people who need middle-sized quantities. That's exactly you what know, it is. Do what? That's exactly what it is. It's it's that middle ground. Yeah. It's people who don't even, and the thing is that like, that's why you're not gonna have people come to you because they don't know that this even exists. It's a brand new world. Right. So, you know, the, 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 the first order I got is what led to the second one. So I got 1200, you know, a 1200 piece order from a guy who, who pinged me and asked, do you know anybody who can do this? And I said, me. I can. Yeah. He's like, I need somebody to make me 1200 of these things. And I need them in four different colors and I need it in a month. And I know like I've gone to other resin manufacturers and they won't do it for me. You guys already make my other models printable. Can you, or do you know anybody who can make me these models? As soon as I got that order, my brain started cogitating. And so I went to somebody else and I said, hey, man, let's do a marketing thing together. What what would you do if I made 4,000 of your ships? He's like, are you fucking crazy? Why would you do that? I'm like, because I can't. And I want to do it for other people. I'm going to order so, a ton of resin, gallons yeah. of IPA, and I'm going to work. Yes. I love it. That's where we are right now. Like if you as a business owner are, are, are looking at trying to transition your FDM or you want to build in this space, it's not going to show up on your doorstep. You're going no. to have to straight up old school door to door salesman that shit. You got to go build your influence network, build your client network, reach out and touch people. Mine, you know, find your niche, whatever that niche is going to be. And it needs to be one that you like because this shit's not easy. You're going to spend a lot of time and you need to want to enjoy what you're printing. Find someone, even if it's a two or 300 piece order, find someone who wants something in your local area and go serve them. And, and, and then take that order and find somebody else and serve them. Find people to serve, have that kind of service attitude of, I'm not looking to make money, I'm looking to serve you. We'll make money in time. Not everybody can do that. And, and not everyone is even really emotionally intelligent enough to engage in that kind of long-term play. It, 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 it is a very, very difficult uh, movement to make, right? Because you're going to get a lot of no's. You're going to get a lot of, you do what now? Can you make us a banner? Um, you, you're going to get a lot of those where, where, like, literally, the phone calls that I've gotten this week, all but, like, three were for people that wanted 2D printing because the knowledge I told of, you just buy a, laser, a big laser printer and just be done with this. Yeah, because I, I just have money for big-ass laser printers, but... You know, I don't want to get into that industry. I'd rather just send that to someone that knows what they're doing. What happens is you end up spreading yourself so thin that I'm not going to get business for either one of them because it's not going to be clear what we do. Um, you know, it, it we have to modify. And I think the way that everything has happened in these, in these past couple of years has shown people that the old school way is not exactly the way that works, except the old school shops didn't hear any of that so you have to find the newer cnc shops the newer shops the newer designers people that are because like the old guys that have been around and i'm gonna pick on one he's not here but i wish he was fotis mint um i'm gonna pick on him because he's been around for a minute uh you know he's already got people that are running the resin for him it's like he's got 
uh, tiers of patrons that can do the sales already. That That's already there. Um, because he set that up a long time ago. But you look at the smaller community, and I think we'll, we talked about this a little bit. You look at the smaller people that don't have that set up. There's a wonderful opportunity there for small businesses, people that are starting up, that want to get into bed with these companies to do that kind of thing. Oh, yeah, it was. It was Fotis's birthday, so we, we, we all have mini photos uh which is hilarious um common software manager is restarting my computer says hmm i don't know what that is but it's restarting uh but you know either way i i look at it and say the challenges all exist for similar reasons we have an education gap and we've been trying as 3dm but i know that we're not succeeding in a lot of areas Will, clearly you guys are niching down hard with resin. How are you getting that knowledge about how to handle resin out there to the community in a way that is educational and non-pandering? Ah, well, I mean, so twofold. The, the, the main way for us is, is honestly, it's our Discord. It's the Atlas Support Discord. That, you know, we've got 20 plus ambassadors from all over the world that live there. That's their whole thing. They're just there to help people learn. And I, um, I'm i a big believer in culture. It starts with a corporate culture that we have of just being nice um, and, and not not acting like uh, God kings. We are we're passionate people who love to 3D print. We're not special. We don't have we don't we don't try and keep secret sauce. Anytime we learn anything, it's almost always learning through failure failing, 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 and then finding a way to work. And then so we share it. It is and the best way to learn, but also the hardest and slowest way to learn. Failing. It is. And the thing is, is that in the FDM world, there because things were done for you in, in kind of a way that software all handled it, there was an old culture of almost like a, 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 a bipolar culture of everybody share your settings. But then the settings that really work, the, the dialed calibrated settings, businesses would just try and, and hold to themselves and not share. And I think that's a big part of what killed the FDM world was this me first, me only, I'm not going to share attitude. Yeah. We've tried to have the exact opposite. We share everything we do, all of our settings, all of everything that we do. We don't keep any of it internal. Um, and I think that's why people keep coming to our discord. That's, I mean, I hear a lot of people say, hey, it's a nice friendly place. It's, it's not toxic like Facebook. If I'm a new God, person, what to do? Yeah, absolutely get off Facebook because I mean the people there are mean. I, I mean, I'm sorry. Atlas is still a small company, but we are one of the larger companies that make things printable. And I print a lot of shit. I I I, I am not a genius, but I I know what I'm doing. And it's frustrating to have somebody who's got a brand new printer who thinks they're hot shit on Facebook yell and shout at me. Oh my God. So we're doing a whole series on this. Uh, we, we started this just this past Friday and I'm so glad I'm like, I'm like, I'm trying to steer him into talking about how some people think they know what they're doing and they totally don't. Um, we started a, uh, it's, uh, we're calling it print fail Friday, but the hashtag for it is hashtag print fail. Uh, cause apparently no one uses that. It's only had like nine uses the entire year. So we're going to take that one over, but i I'm staying off of Facebook because I think it's a bit of a cesspool, but we're going to Reddit. We're going to discord. I went to 
to a community of ours yesterday. And I feel like someone's been personally attacked by their 3D printer. That's going to be in the next episode. But like yeah. literally there was a there was a part of someone that had a white part and it had a black line in it. And the answers range from the right answer, which is your nozzle, your hot end is leaking somewhere and you're getting burned plastic to your extruder is putting metal shavings into your filament. You need to clean it. That makes like, no sense. What? You have a 0.4 millimeter orifice nozzle. You will not get metal shavings. And this guy stood and said, yeah, this happened to me. I got to blow out my nozzle with compressed or I have to blow out my extruder with compressed air. You're going to put metal flakes into the air? What are you, an old school body painter for cars? Come on. Like, no, that's not the right answer. Then one guy's like, well, you know, I had this issue when I put lines on my filament every hundred millimeters so I could tune my steps per millimeter. That's not it either because it clearly isn't. Bah. And yeah, what happens I mean... is you end up with people that are chasing wild gooses gooses geese gooses sure for no valid reason and then they end up getting pissed off so we're we're starting this whole series we're gonna do one for resin so i'm gonna be leaning on your discord i'm sure for for some things um but uh we are absolutely going to be doing them for resin too and you know things like okay you had a bubble your part was too thin you didn't deal with suction forces. And then we're going to have one every month, which is just going to be the meme. And I will make sure that we make it the meme where I'm going to look at a resin part and say, well, that failed. Have you tried drying your filament? And, go and going with, with that route where it's just wrong answers only. And maybe what we'll do is we'll keep track of the ones that we've done every single week. And then just go through all the wrong answers and those are the answers that will show. But there's absolutely some some point to be made here um, of that. There's just not good enough education and we we've been trying, but we're not hitting that market of people that have 3d printers that don't understand them. And even yep. further, the people that want to utilize this new technology and don't understand it either. Uh, do you have any like thought process on what you think we could be doing better as not just a company, but as content creators to be bringing this idea because 3d printing is something that can be used for production. And it's something that should be used during minimally during a production stat status. But how do you get that across to people that just don't get it? Well, I mean, I think it's, it's different things. So for a regular consumer, honestly, I think it's, it is, I mean, we have a partnership agreement with Lychee. So what I would say is it's getting them into Lychee because Lychee just simplifies things. It, 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 it's got default settings that don't come from the manufacturers. It comes from the cloud. They take all of the settings from their users and they create averages and they, they offer those as defaults. Hey, do you want to choose this? And then realistically, it's setting expectations. There are a lot of people who, you know, a lot of the review videos, uh -huh. you know, if you look back at the last year of review videos, what you see is a bunch of guys, because they're all guys, who print a test rook and maybe one pre-supported file, but generally it's just the test rook. And they're like, it's great, it's easy, I just hit the print and it works. They don't even explain that that test rook file is only generally good with the resin that came with the machine, if it came with resin. Otherwise, you can't use that sliced file we gave you. You need to right. go re-slice the work file. Right, right. There's, we're in this, like, 
a middle ground where we have a, a consumer product that's priced at the consumer level and it's marketed as if it were a microwave, as in it's very easy to use. But in reality, it's like a 1980s build-it-yourself computer where it works, but there's still quite a bit of, of finagling and tweaking and, and, and tuning. Right, right. And the manufacturers aren't telling people that. You know, Elegoo and Anycubic and everyone are like, it's interesting because that sells units. Right. So for people like you guys, and then, you know, even for us, a big part of what sells our brand is us just being truth tellers. Like, well, parts of it are easy and you don't have to feel stupid if it's not working for you. Here's some solutions and be solution oriented. A lot of, of a lot of people online are not solution oriented. They're like, it doesn't work. And then they're negative. It's trash. And it's like, no, it's not trash. It just didn't work for you. And I think that the biggest thing that content creators can do right now is push a culture that 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 says stop saying things are trash. Stop shitting on people. Because that's actually why you're struggling. If you would take a minute and, and give everybody a little grace, maybe try. Yeah. Maybe, maybe maybe do a Google. Maybe maybe instead of assuming that it's everyone else, maybe think it's me. Maybe I should change. And and how we do that as content creators and as businesses, I don't really know. That's changing consumer behavior at a level that's going to take a long fucking time. But the companies that do do it are going to make a lot of money. That's that's the whole reason we win. People show up because we make printing easy. If, you know, if you're going to be a, a business that's selling printable goods to people, what you're actually selling is I make prototyping easy. Mm-hmm. That's what. You know, I make mid-scale manufacturing easy. Make things easy for someone and they'll pay you. You either make it easy for the consumer or you make it easy for the partner. Either way, that's how you make money. I don't know if that answered your question or not. I'm sorry. I tend to wax philosophical. No, you're good. I, I, I'm laughing because... <laughs> Uh, Super Tanky Discord says, Monkey is just venting from the mountains of shit he's had to put up with. And I'm like, yes, he is. <laughs> but that's like, you know, part of what this is about, right? You know, it, it's not common that someone reaches out to us and said, hey, I'm about to print 4,000 parts. Do you want to talk about it? I'm like, yes, that would be cool. Let's talk about it. Because I've never, I've never printed that many parts. I had to spend three days just making the plates to do the print. God. That's three days of planning just to do the printing. Like, and, and then, I mean, I've got three spreadsheets now that break down every single thing that I'm printing, how many times I need to print it, how many things are on each, you know, like for doing this kind of printing, it's the only way to do it, or you're gonna lose money. You won't, you won't know how much your true costs were, so you won't buy things in the right scale and, and you'll fuck yourself. Someone is, uh, Overeat is telling me about, uh, about someone in the Afreon Discord that got resin in their eye and was hospitalized. Yep. Yeah, that's going to be a big no for me. No thanks. This is why we say, I don't care what you're working on. Safety glasses are the absolute cheapest bit of insurance you can have and you know what if you're gonna be working on resin go get a set of swimming goggles for god's sake just go get swimming goggles because you know what it's resin won't get in your eyes if the air and water can't get in either now it's actually kind of dangerous to pull swimming goggles off your face without having water on your face is it yeah 
I mean, if you could just pop break the seal on one side, right? Yeah, if you do it like that. If like, you I'm just not saying rip it off. off so you pop yeah, I know, your but, eyeballs but, out of their but ocular people do that. But like when you're in the pool, you can do that fine. But when it's like now, I'm gonna that, have to ask Amber stupid. if she's ever heard of that happening. Damn it, Justin. <laughs> Because, like, is this really a problem, or is this, like, an old wives' tale worth a problem? I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Probably that both. That makes me feel like it's an old wives' tale, then. Generally, when certainty is uncertain. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, uh, Guppy in our in our chat, and I think it's somebody in your Discord as well, is making the same point that I've said before. There is not enough YouTubers and influencers talking about safety. And the big reason is because no one's going to watch the damn video. Yeah. Nobody's we, going to. I, you know what? I, I, I've committed to it. Uh, who said this? We um, reached out to YouTubers to make safety videos and to make how to print videos, and we were told, you know, you shouldn't tell us what kind of content to make. We're the creators. We know what to make. Oh, dude. When, whenever I talk about something controversial that I know could hurt the company, somehow, you know, adjacent related, I always reach out to them first and say, "Hey, this is the video that I want to make." Are you okay with me making this? Because I don't want to make your situation any worse than it is. I understand that I have freedom of speech and freedom of press, and I can do whatever the hell that I want within some reasonable range. But why make shit harder for someone if you don't have to? Um, Julie B in the Atlas Discord, please, please DM me. I would love, because they apparently have a list of all this stuff already. I would love to see this list. I want to do video. I don't care if it is a flop video. I do not care because I want to make sure that people do understand the safety precautions that need to be taken for something like this for it to be safe I, I, I'm, I'm now I'm also an 1800 subscriber YouTube channel right Justin is one of our editors he does all the time lapses except for the one that he slept through cough cough even though we were playing even though we were hanging out until late in the night the work wasn't done was it Justin no, it wasn't, Justin. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to give you a bit of flame for that on a podcast. <laughs> it must, Bob. It's it, Bob's fault. It must be nice to sleep until until noon. That's all I got to say about that is it must well, be nice to sleep that until that entire day either, so. <laughs> but, you know, as an 1800 sub channel, we put out some videos that I didn't think were going to do very well, and they did very well. And I want to do one on resin safety. I want to do one on the safety for FDM. Although we, we, we covered both of them a little bit, but I'm sure that we missed things. And I'd like to do one with my FDM new set to show it off. What? FDM is just don't touch hot or get your hands in the way of moving stuff. Well, I think most of it is just don't touch, don't touch it, right? Just don't touch yeah. it. Um, and like, I, I, I believe that if we have like, I, I, if YouTube would let me, I would do a series called, like, Resin Printing for Dumb Shits and FDM Printing for Dumb Shits. But I dummies. But that's not as cool of a title, right? Maybe the thumbnail will have, like, an asterisk where the eye would be, something like that. Because, or a poop emoji. Or a poop emoji. Yeah, dumb poop emojis. Ooh, that's a good one. Well, what um, we have is, uh, for us, we call it Don't Stick Your Dick in the Vat. What? So you could do Don't Stick Your Dick in the Vat. That's what we call it. You do something that's so dumb, you're like, what did he do? He stuck his dick in the back. Why would he even do that? That's what we refer to. When we see people do really, really weird things, that's what we call it internally. The uh, the, the old like, AVE, don't stick your fingy where you wouldn't stick your dinky. There we go. Yeah, I, uh, I, I want to do something 
to where we can help educate people. But in a way that maybe they enjoy it. You know, maybe that they get something out of it. Oh my god, you all have an emoji for this in your Discord. Yes. Why do you do. why do you have an emoji for this in your Discord? Oh, you haven't seen me put this because in ours? Culture matters. And emojis are significant cultural symbols. No, Seriously, Justin, business, do not put it in our build a business. Build a <laughs> there we go, Justin. That's what I'm saying, man. If you want a business, build a culture. Oh, culture or cult of personality. I'm really not certain what it is, but it's one of the two. Uh, I am not a cult leader. The military was wrong. I will not be the cult. But a very active community, absolutely. Jimmy says, I was saved by having glasses normally once. The cap on the resin bottle was broken and resin had leaked out. So when I shook the bottle to mix the resin, it flew drops everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh that's a tough one. That's a tough one. I I can't imagine one what the cleanup for that was like, right? And then two how grateful you must have felt. Now I'm going to like normally I shake resin bottles. We have a very small shelf where all the resin bottles are and I shake them in that shelf cuz I can. Uh but sometimes we uh you know we'll shake them outside of the shelf and that now i have an, an a, a fear for something that i shouldn't be fearful of but now i'm now i'm concerned that i'm going to get like resin flinging all over the place oh. yeah as you should now this is another reason why you, uh, you might like Vulcan because you know it'll be coming in bags so there's no worrying about getting the resin everywhere because of broken down. I yeah. I love how this conversation has moved to their Discord from all of us on the live stream. Go put it in the comments of the video. It helps our engagement. Damn it. <laughs> well, we don't have the emojis. You don't have the need, emojis need, in there. We need custom emojis. You see, I mean, shoot, custom emojis is half the reason I pay for nitro every month. I I I'm gonna have to start paying for it once my gift one. Expires. Are you are you actually going? To, you put it in our Discord, you son of a bitch. <laughs> You know, we have people in there that won't get the joke, so please, uh... No, no context is needed. Um, you know, 70 bucks on Discord a month as a business is the best marketing spend you can make. 70 bucks? Yeah, they're and thereabouts, because that gets you enough boots to have a, a, a custom, uh, a guaranteed custom URL. And again, for a business... You should do that, Grant. You should. Because not only do you get the custom URL, everybody in your Discord gets free Nitro in terms of they can send 100 megabit files within. It's seventy dollars so a, a month. For because yeah, you can get all of, you can give seven people Nitro and then we all boost the server. Oh oh. Uh, Steve, fourteen oh, no, boost to get to level two. I just bought. I just bought the boost myself. <laughs> it's just like I just pay for it every month. Some months people help us pay for it and it's great. But it's just become a fixed marketing expense for me. It's just a line item, seventy bucks a month that go into boosts. Now, if if your Discord is like the four thousand or five thousand people that yours is, yes. Yeah, but the... I, I started that though at thirty people a year ago in our Discord. It didn't exist a year ago today. There were five people in the Atlas Discord. Right. Five. Like, and that was mostly Atlas staff. 
<laughs> that's kind of how it is for us we've got a couple of patrons which i guess i can do another shameless plug for our patreon if you want to support us directly you can uh do that patreon.com slash 3d musketeers links are in the description it does not cost much to support us we have tiers as low as one dollar and if you're feeling especially generous we have the musk a tier which is four hundred and twenty dollars and sixty nine cents and justin we still need to tweet that at elon musk we continue to forget to do that we need to do that you know, if you're spe- if you're feeling, I, I, I mean, I, I I did get a response from him once, so really, yeah, I would I would do a happy dance over that. I did. It was at midnight one night in like seventh grade. Yeah, yeah, I would do a happy dance over that. It was about flamethrowers. Fucking naturally, I wanted to buy one of those so bad. I I, I did too. I, I was I was vetoed. we call them brush clearers here in Florida and you can buy them at Harbor Freight for like 30 bucks you hook it up to a 20 pound propane cylinder and you can still put fire 10 feet away from you but the thing is it's in an airsoft uh, I don't care and it looks cool I don't care and it says not a flamethrower on it it does have three it's 3d printed the not a flamethrower is it really yeah huh well, that's cool. ask Matt for pictures of his and then I didn't know that it was 3D printed. From my understanding, the early ones were like the ones that they got at the press events. I mean, would that, sure be a, would that be an example of 3D printing in production? Or do we not I mean, there were only 4,000. Well, I mean, like, if you want to look at, like, true, true production, like, what is viable right now for 3D printing, um, uh, you know, outside of FDM? Um, it really is only collectibles and toys right now. And then I think fairly soon DIY stuff, but ultra basic, like, okay. So think about when you go to Home Depot, the plastic section that they have, where they have wing nuts, they've got bolts, the little M16 nut, like all of the various and sundry things that you can get plastic bits that are injection molded. Mm-hmm. That is a thing that you can contemplate manufacturing. But what you should not do is make the actual ones you buy in the hardware store. It's fine the oddball ones they don't care, yeah. but that people need. And print those and keep that in stock. Yeah, okay, so one of the most profitable things to print in 2020 were ear savers. The little things that kept the uh, the thing off your ear. We gave people them away. Were them. I gave mine yeah. away too. Yeah, I, we gave uh, all of ours away. Millions and millions of dollars were made by people on Etsy selling them for two bucks a pop. And people were paying for them. You couldn't have known that in advance, though. You just had, I mean, anybody who's thinking about using 3D printing as a business, what you're actually becoming is a retail buyer. It's a job description that used to exist only at the upper echelons of retail. You would, you know, you'd be given a job, you go to various trade shows, you buy merchandise for your large corporate to sell, and they buy it in bulk. Yep. As a, as a manufacturer, because that's what you would become if you're starting a business with 3D printers. Your new job is to go out and find products to work, you know, to get produced by your factory. It's right. just like being a retail buyer. If you make bad that's bets, fair. you don't sell shit. I mean, that's what we've been on the hunt for this last couple three months is, is going out and finding people to make products for us so that we can sell. Them. I, I think uh, Seat Catlet 1984, uh, yeah, puts the biggest challenge in there. You forget people are dumb. <laughs> yeah. People being dumb is probably the biggest one. She said, uh, it's an issue my mother works for, and my mother works at an eye physician's office and God, the pictures. Oh, I don't want to know. I don't want to know what people get in their eyes. Uh, 
no thank you no thank you no thank you no thank you yeah i uh, not on your list of not not on my list of things that i want to have happen in my life thank you i've i've done some very dumb things in my life i would like to keep them at a minimum when i can i feel it yeah absolutely more than what happened i think that's like high watermark of things that are dumb that i would like like not to now you were saying that it took you three days to build the build plates for these four thousand prints. How many different yeah. build plates did you have to make for this entire print? Thirty. And how many printers are doing this? Ten. It's twenty-five loops of all ten printers for the the thirty different plates. Because it's oh no, it's thirty-six plates. Because it's six units and six factions, and each unit has its own plate. No, five, five units, six factions. Yeah, thirty-six. Okay, that's not too bad. So a lot. I mean, no, no. Are you running thirty individual printers so that it's just one plate per printer, or what's your plan there? No, no, no. So I've got 10 Saturns. B is, is that like, okay, so ship A has six factions, but the same, mm -hmm. I need the same number of ship A. I just need one for each set of factions. And right. they are different ships, but all, you know, all of the heavy cruisers. For one, I have to print that loop five times, meaning 50 prints, because it's each loop is 10 printers printing the plate once. And you know, the, the math part, the part that took me the time wasn't actually building the plates. That was mostly just waiting for the software. It was afterwards doing the math of like, okay, I need you know, each squad as, you know, this many of this ship, this many of that, sh this many total ships. Right. And mathing out how many of each different plate I needed to print to end up with an even number of units at the end, so that I have no extra units. Well, that because that was the goal. Is long. Yes. Yep. I, I guess I'm the one that's like, all right, I want to build plates that have the precise. Like, if I need six, if I need, you know, if I have six different factions and I need thirty of each thing in there. How do I build it in a way that, assuming I have no failures, which is the hard part, right? I will have no spares. And if I do end up with spares, marketing prints! I put them on the internet, they look cool, and everybody's down, right? That's that's how I yeah, look so at it. The way that you do this is this is uh, an introductory algebra. Mm -hmm. So you set yourself... You set up a multivariable equation of A plus B plus C plus D plus E plus F equals right. the total number of units. And then you set each one of those variables to the minimum number that you can fit on a plate, or the maximum number, rather, for each one of those unit types. Then you take that 4,000 and you divide that 4,000 by the total number of units in each squad. Okay. That gives you the total number of squads you're going to produce. And then you take that squad and you say, okay, of the squads... How many you know, plates do I need for each one of these units? And whichever one is the fewest number of plates that you require, that becomes the number that you divide everything else by. And that tells you how many sets of units you're going to make. Or sorry, not, it's not the smallest one. It's the, the, yeah, no, it is the smallest. Yeah. So my little guys, they only take three loops per faction to print all of the ones that I need. Okay. It becomes my denominator. 
I divide my thing by that number, and now I know exactly how many of every unit I need. Because if I run this plate two times, I'm going to have 60 units. I only need 43 or 47 or whatever it is that I need. And that now tells me exactly how many squads I'm going to make. Since I know exactly how many squads I'm going to make, and I know how much access I'll have off that one, my smallest guys, on my next ones up, all I did was make sure that at the end of it, my extra units will resolve into an extra squad. Because the squad is what I'm actually selling. I'm not selling individual units, I'm selling squads. So as long as any excess is a full squad, no fucks. Then it's, yeah, then it's, then no longer is it excess, it is inventory. Um, exactly. I like that model. We tried that once and the guy never came and picked up his parts. Yeah, I would lose my shit because I invested a lot of money in this bet. So, yeah. so if, if anyone is looking for like one sixty fourth scale hot rods that are resin printed, like hit a brother up because I got a bunch of them here. I, I, I may have a, a couple of my friends are really for, into that stuff. It's for slot cars. They, they're slot car bodies. Um, like I, my, my my friends would still take them because they like Hot Wheels because they're nerds. They're gonna have to buy them because he didn't. Yeah. Buy them. Oh yeah. The the dude said, "Oh yeah, I'll pay you." And I'm like, "All right, I'll I'll get working on this cuz that was back before I had mono LCD printers. I'm like, I should I should get started on this." Dude never paid me. God, that sucked. We got burned recently. If anyone wants a cake topper with uh uh yeah, Justin that part never got paid. Uh if anyone wants a cake topper with camshafts and connecting rods, let me know too cuz like I got that done other than the laser cutting. Thank God I didn't do that. Um, that, that same friend would probably want it too. <laughs> For, for his birthday. You're, you have some weird-ass friends. I guess that's what it's like being... See, Will said we're all millennials here. No, two of the three of us are millennials. The other is Gen Z. We eat Tide Pods. Oh, yeah, you're yeah, that's right, Gen you eat Z, Tide Pods. <laughs> I, I'm just outside of the Tide Pod, though. No, okay, so here, this is the thing that a lot of people know. Do you actually know who the people who were most likely to eat Tide Pods were? Millennials. What age demographic? No, not even close. Fucking senior citizens. More senior citizens ate Tide Pods than millennials. It was an actual major problem for them. The, the two demographics that were eating Tide Pods were young children, three to five, and senior citizens who had dementia. Like, this isn't a negotiation. This isn't a debate. It's a matter of scientific fact. No, I'm just like, that's, that's interesting to me. <laughs> But the news media picked it up and were like, fucking millennials are dumping or eating Tide Pods and putting it on YouTube. And it's like, well, actually, millennials were just making YouTube videos that made people click and watch and say, stop the millennials, because we realize that makes money. Yeah. What's up? Oh, my sister said she thought it was Zoomers. Uh, I don't know, man. I, I, I just sit here and continue to be the nice... Uh, Oh, the nice hermit that I am. And I'm like, oh, okay, people are doing that. Well, all right. You know, kind of is oh, yeah. what it is. It's, it's a lovely thing now. There, there's something called, I don't even understand. A devious lick. I don't even know what that means. But they go and steal stuff from schools. So they're taking, like, the toilet seats off of toilets. Wow. Or they're taking urinal cakes. Or the soap dispensers out of bathrooms. Yes. Or, like... Doors off of hinges. Yeah, it's fun. It's 
why don't kids just like go home and play video games oh wait that's right because they're just as toxic on video games why do you like we're trying to find we're we're gonna we have a whole tier on our patreon that's for gaming where you guys can like literally come on and hang out with us when we're gaming uh rather than randomly finding us in lobbies which has happened once we had a a patron find found me in a lobby Uh, huh split gate yeah they found me in a split gate lobby I have my mic turned off, but they, they DM me like, this is you, right? I'm like, yep, that's me. My, I mean, it's 3D Musketeers. It's kind of hard not to, it, it's me. Um, but like, we're trying to find games that we can play where the community is not incredibly toxic. So like Fortnite is not happening. <laughs> Call of Duty no. is not happening. Um, God. Yeah, cause like the communities are so egregiously toxic. Um, and I'm, I'm I'm waiting until some stupid viral thing comes out from 3D mus- from 3D muskers from 3D printing in general of some sort of fad that comes out. Right, we had the the fidget spinners were great for 3D printing, but I want to I'm I'm trying to figure out what the next one is. Baby Yoda. Oh, I mean straight up. I mean, shit. Get that shit out of here, Justin. We're gonna get demonetized for that. Not all the cussing will get demonetized for having something related to the mouse on on the stream. Oh yeah, don't have a mouse on the screen. Disney will sue the fuck out of you. So uh, this is just two of them. I have more. Why do you have so many? Oh yeah, the baby Yoda thing. Now, I mean, like realistically, those baby Yodas represented about a three billion dollar loss for Hasbro, who, for reasons that make no sense to me at all didn't have the plush and the toy ready for Christmas when they launched so their stupid. Trip, the Mandalorian. It's so and they stupid. Went, it was, it was, a, they I, could have 3d printed them. It would have been ready. It People was did. ready. And it, it was one of the most uh, downloaded items on my mini factory. Yep. Uh, which actually, you, know, you want to talk about IP. I'm very interested to see how uh, my mini factory is going to manage to stay in business. Given the amount of IP infringing merchandise that can be purchased on their stores. I would guess it's, they're going to do the same thing that a lot of stores do not respond to the DMCA claims and, and, and ignore them like they're the plague. Wait until they get sued. Yes. Yeah. Wait until they get sued. So in the nineties, there were lots of music startups that thought they could do the same thing. They looked like Napster. And they could, all the way up until they were a certain scale and a certain amount of money was being lost slash made. And then all of a sudden, the RIAA showed up, the yeah. Recording Industry of America. I would imagine that within the next year, because of the amount of money on the table, major manufacturers and IP holders are suddenly going to not be so nice to companies that are willfully engaged in IP fraud. Because it's not like they don't know that Marvel didn't approve Joe Blow Schmo for making a Wolverine figure. Like, yeah. Fan art is okay. There's lots of creators who do a good job with how they handle fan art. There are also a lot. Do what? Like Wexter does like Render, like he does the minis of certain characters. Yeah, I I was gonna ask about that. Where where do we stand on like you know uh, Chaos Cortex, Chelsea, yeah, Wexter did one too. They did the Starro from the new Suicide Squad movie. Where does we stand on that? Right. Where where does it stop becoming fan art, and where does it then become an infringing of IP? Well, that's some of the funny stuff. So all of the Star Wars Funkos, if you ever take one out of the box, they're all bobbleheads. They're not standard Funkos. Because Disney 
slash Star Wars will not allow you to make an action figure of them. And a standard Funko is considered an action figure, so they make bobbleheads. They add a cut off a little thing and just put a spring in it. Same, same manufacturing process, just they add a spring. This will have to be an upcoming episode where we talk about IP in the 3D printing industry because it, it is a big deal. And, you know, we as a service bureau, it's not my job. It is not my job to figure out if you own the IP or not. We say the same thing. Uh, it's in our it terms. Uh, just so you know, it fucking is. I can't, I can't afford an attorney to do that search every single time. I can't do it. Yeah, which means you should not – this is why, like, our, our print network will not – it's I, I I I call us print on demand, but it's not actually going to be print on demand because if you are accepting, if you let somebody come in and print a baby Yoda on your machine, Disney can and in the future absolutely will shut you down. That's the nice reason why we don't post those photos. But um, I would. <laughs> yeah, I mean, most of what we do is protected under NDA. Anyways, we don't do a lot of like B to C printing anymore. I mean. Hilariously, the YouTube channel has been bringing a little bit of business to us, so that's been interesting. Um, so yes, you, the viewer, if you would like to make cool shit and you don't have access to 3D printers, although something tells me if you're, what, three hours deep into a podcast, you probably have access to 3D printers. Uh, but if or you you're don't, buying one now. <laughs> yeah, if you don't, you can reach out to us because I, I do firmly believe that before you buy a 3D printer, you should outsource some of the work so you can understand what the expectation is for quality. And you can talk to service bureaus like us, right? Shapeway, Sculptio, White Clouds, they don't give a shit, right? A company like 3DM, we are going to sit there, we're going to talk with you, we're going to walk you through the process, we're going to hold your hand a little bit, and we're going to get you a part that suits your needs, your yeah, quality Tell us that, that. That, that you're interested in, possibly you're, you're interested in a Prusa Mini. Yep. We'll print it on the Mini. Like, so you can kind of see what that part looks like. Because machine to machine, Parts do look different. They have they certain do. certain like artifacts that are because of that machine. And like that to totally makes sense. And if you're looking at that machine, let, let us know. And if we have it, we can print it on that machine. So well, we're not salespeople for them, but we, we love this industry and we like making cool stuff. So, well, see, I mean, if you, you, know, you brought up Shapeways, and I was talking with somebody about Shapeways and the other ones before, because they had asked if we would be willing to work with them, like, you know, maybe sell them a resin or something. And, and from my perspective, a lot of the large printing companies now, five, ten years ago, they had built themselves as creating a distributed print network for everybody. And if you have a printer, you can join in. And then what they really did was just use that for a minute and then lock everything down. And now they treat everybody just like they're another number. I think that for you know for, for small businesses like like ours, uh, like three uh, three musketeers and in, in, in Atlas, where we're trying to, to do this kind of print production, it right. is the personal relationship that we can offer. Like we aren't going to treat you like a number. We care about your business. Your business is our business. If you don't succeed, we don't succeed. Which is a bunch of fucking cliche shit, but it's true. And that kind of attitude, that service attitude of I'm going to serve you and make your life better, Shapeways can't do that because they don't, their business model doesn't scale to that. They're the, the one-to-many model. I think that additive manufacturing allows for a one-to-one -one model where I'm not a, a factory that serves 10,000 customers. I'm a factory that serves five customers, and I give you a level of service that you only get right now if you're a multi-billion dollar multinational that owns Bingo. its own fucking factory. That is the key. 
And in order to do that, you do need a variety of printers. You need rest, you need FDM, and you need knowledge more than anything. It's the knowledge of how to use those things and how to solve problems. If somebody sends you shit mesh, if you've got someone internally who can fix that mesh, you just saved that job. If you don't have somebody internally who can fix the mesh, you just lost that job. Somebody sends you a model that doesn't have supports, if you don't know how to use to make your own supports, you just lost that contract. Or you have to use auto supports, which might destroy the model or not provide a good quality print, which means you lost the contract. I mean, everything here, in my opinion, is education for you as a business owner and yep. then diversity of tools. Not giving the consumer all of the tools. You have the tools and you give them a product, either partially finished or all the way finished. It just depends on the customer. Right, right. Right. Yeah, I, this is something that we're going to see changing a, a lot, right? The relationship between business, consumer, big business, big business, right? B2B versus B2C. That is going to be changing. And as people start realizing that they've lost everything that they love when it comes to dealing with companies, literally the ability to pick up the phone. Thank God my phone hasn't rang through these three hours. But if you call the company, it rings to my personal cell phone. Now, it's not, it's not my personal cell phone number because I am not that stupid. Um, but it rings to my personal cell phone because I want, at least until we grow large enough, I want to be the guy that talks to you. One, I'm the most qualified. No offense to Justin or anybody else in the company. I am truly the most qualified person in our company to talk about what we do and how we do it. Two, I can ask you a lot of those questions that I can get easy answers to to know whether or not you're a good fit. And then three, if you're not a good fit, I can help you become a good fit and say, hey, I know, you know, we had a guy that asked to, uh, to have a helmet printed. Okay, well, what's your budget? And you set us file. What's your budget? Could you do it for 50 bucks? No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Well, you know, it's only this much per kilo. I said, you're right. And if you own your own 3D printer and you have 13 years of experience like I do, then by all means, make it for 50 bucks. Yeah, but I'm not I, going to do that. It, 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 that. For like that type of stuff, it depends on who it is. And normally if it's yeah. like a big print, like a helmet, I can't do it at cost. But if it's like a friend who wants something for their RC car, okay. You, but you, that's you a little bit for, different, right? But Friends, like, if, if it's like a call, if it's like a family or friend, yeah, you could do it for cost or as a gift, like whatever. But then when it's a customer or if it's like a long-time customer and they need to need it, yeah. How else am I gonna print my my uh, two hundred percent scale Photos Mint Mini with his ass hanging out? How else am I going to do that if I'm running your parts for free? How else am yeah. I going to do that? You know, I, very important. It's These incredibly are very important. important. Um, you know, I. People don't understand that, and I can't make a good video on that to educate people without, like, being like, so, you don't value my time. Let's talk about it. <laughs> or you don't value my experience. It, it's the Picasso, you know, where he drew a circle, right, and he billed the lady, like, 15 grand. She's like, well, it only took you three seconds. No, ma'am, it took me a lifetime. Uh, and that's and that's what it is, right? You're paying for all that expertise. If you want it cheap, go to a Shapeways. You actually you won't get FDM. You're gonna pay more. You're gonna you pay more Shapeways. And you're gonna pay more. <laughs> or resin, yeah, you'll pay more because they're not using they're not using affordable machinery. They're using you know two hundred thousand dollar machines. But you know if you don't want a good experience, if you are a new business owner and you're starting out on this, if you buy a firmware, I fucking laugh. Formware. I have laughed 
Form lab. For, I'm sorry, uh, form labs. Oh, yeah. I have laughed at more, quote, business owners who have contacted us saying, oh, I use a form. I just don't even work with them. I'm sorry. I just can't be bothered. If you know is the answer, you're not going to make money with a form printer. You're not. And if you already are, you're ripping your customers off. You have to niche down. It, it, and yeah, I think it you depends can. on the people. Yeah. You know, yeah. if you're going I, I, after bigger businesses, they don't care. They're okay with with paying Form Labs prices, um, but yeah. So uh, Julie says you guys do cost per kilo, but there's also electricity part rundown, mech lifetime, and there is there is all of that. We're gonna have to do a follow up video on all of this so that uh, you know we we can talk about it because there is a lot into what goes into the pricing as well. Um, I know Justin has to get going. Um, and I don't want to keep him too long. We've already kept him for three hours. I can't feel my legs anyways. So, um, I do want to get this one wrapped up. Will, do you have any final thoughts that you want to provide to people on what it takes to run 3d printing on a production level that you are about to in embark on? I'm going to have to follow up with you, like just on Twitter or something or, or in your yeah. discord, like, all right, how many hours of sleep did you get? <laughs> Things like that. Well, so, I mean, for me, it's, it's, it's all... It's planning, man. Plan, plan, plan. Plan the work, work the plan. Yep. And then it's not really a problem. Um, I've got to do 24 loops. Each loop takes three hours on average. Two hours and 27 minutes to three hours and 15 minutes. So right. I just average that to three hours. So for me, it's like, cool. It's 60 hours of print time, and I've got 10 printers. So this is doable inside two or three days. And yeah, all I do is just make runs. Yeah, it's not bad at all. Now, if I had to do this all on like two printers, that's nah, not viable. Um, oh yeah, but, no, you know, don't do a job like that unless you have like multiple spare machines ready at a moment's notice. Yeah, plan the work, work the plan, wear your gloves, and then don't chase bad customers. Amen. It's something I've, it's seen, it's something I have seen from, from other new people who are trying to start. You know, people who like, I've got two or three printers and they have somebody come in who wants 300 minis. And they're like, I've got to take the order. It's like, no, no, no. Sometimes the right thing to do is to turn the order down. Yep. You know, that order isn't for me. I can't satisfy that customer. I can't actually meet that demand. Or the other thing that's worse is I have to have that customer. You don't. The idea that you have to have a given customer is like the gambler at the table who lost the last hand. And it's like, no, 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 no. I got to do one more hand because I got to make that I'll money I'll win back. it all back. I'll win it all back. Yeah. No, you won't. The money's lost. Money's got The it. money is lost. There are 7 billion humans on this planet of which about 5 million are on the internet. You don't need that customer. Now that doesn't mean you need to be an asshole. You need to be customer centric. You need to serve people. But that doesn't mean chasing after every single client. Sometimes the best business decision you can make is to let that one go. Yep, it's true. It's true. It's gonna hurt. Like you will hurt a little bit inside because that money is walking away. But the, the bullshit that you're not going to have to put up with is take it from a professional. Absolutely worth it, right? Especially the person that says, oh, I'm going to have 20,000 parts for you in a month. I just need you to sign this agreement that you're going to do all the stuff for me really cheap. They are never going to give you 20,000 pieces. Ever. Ever. Yep. And like in the entire life cycle of them as a client, they will not give you 20,000 parts ever and sometimes they do but it's never happened for us yeah. um you know so always be careful always know what you're doing 
take proper precautions, wear your safety glasses, wear your gloves, wear a face shield, damn it, put on a bunny suit if you got to, I don't care. Don't forget to call your loved ones, and as always, keep making awesome. This is Season 2, Episode 2, 3D Printing for Production. Thanks for hanging out, Will. You want to shout yeah. out anybody before you before we call it? Uh, yeah, so you know, Runic Collectibles is doing a new project with us. We're going to be launching at the end of this month. Uh, Angels versus Demons in Hell. And uh, we'd love for people to, to check that out. They can pop over to our Discord to learn more. And then uh, we're going to be giving away a year of free resin, a gallon of resin a month. To anybody who follows the uh, the Kickstarter project, which launches next week, or uh, buys an Atlas coin. So uh, keep your eye out for that if you want to win a free gallon of resin a month for a year. Atlas coins to the moon. You betcha. We'll see you guys later. Thanks for hanging out. Later. Bye, guys.